morning. It's four minutes past six. It's Friday the 20th of July. I'm far too perky for this time of the morning because it's the weekend. When you have, like, a job, this is, I would consider this a job, uh, the weekend becomes very important. I'm not doing a lot, just hanging out, hanging out with my family. Oh, speaking of which, I need some help with my little boy. I know you're about to help me with this. He's two and a half. The last few days, he's re- started refusing to have a bath. Tears last night. I, t- I forced him into the bath. I forced a child into the bath. And, man, when kids are wet, they're slippery, aren't they? You can't hold them. You cannot hold them once they're wet. So I'm appealing to you, dear listener, tips on how I can persuade my two-and-a-half-year-old that actually, yes, he does like the bath. He used to love the bath. 08459 455 555. Or if it's too early to call in, you can always send me a text. 81333. Start your text 3CR or email... 3CR at bbc.co.uk But don't worry, I'm not just using the BBC yet again for my own purposes. That's it's one of the bonuses. I've got lots of other stuff on the show this morning that I'd love to get your views on. Uh, the p- potential Olympic strikes. Good news, bad news. Well, probably bad news, but should they be allowed to do it? 08459 455 555 Simon just uh, mentioned the racism in football. We'll be having a look at that story a little bit closer on. Does it exist? And your tips on how I can get my boy into the bath, please. 08459 455 555. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties. Good morning. (laughs) It's Billy Joel. I don't know why I'm laughing. It just seems funny to me. I don't know why Billy Joel makes me laugh. He does. I like Billy Joel. I'm not a huge fan, but I do like him. What's the album... um, the Uptown Girl album. It's a great record. It's a fantastic record. But for some reason, there's something about him that just makes me giggle. He's, he's very earnest, isn't he? He's very earnest at the end of that song. Good morning. It's uh, nine minutes past six. Uh, Friday the 20th of July. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio with your breakfast show through till nine. So, more fears for the smooth running of the Olympics this morning, this time because border guards are to strike the day before the Games get underway on what's likely to be the busiest day in Heathrow's history. The 24-hour action by members of the PCS union comes even though it was backed by just one in ten staff in a ballot. More than 5,000 immigration officials will strike next Thursday in the dispute about job cuts and pay, and that could mean disruption for nearly 130,000 passengers as they arrive ahead of the Olympic opening ceremony. It's the latest headache for the government and Olympics officials as there are renewed efforts to reassure everyone that the Games will run smoothly and that security is up to scratch. Our reporter Lisa Costello has more on this. Good morning, Lisa. Morning. Lisa, why, why is the PCS taking this action? Well, essentially, the PCS is angry about Home Office plans for cuts which affect their members. Eight and a half thousand jobs are at risk, and there's a threat of compulsory redundancies in the passport office in Newport in South Wales. Uh, And there's also a row over pay rises being capped at 1% after a two-year wage freeze and allegations that union reps are actually being victimised. Now, the PCS is obviously one of the largest unions in the UK, about uh, 250,000 public sector members, so the consequences of strike 
action could be quite serious and uh, already PCS members at the Department of Transport have been taking industrial action over the last few weeks and, and staff in other departments including uh, the Ministries of Defence and Justice are set to vote on, on how to campaign against cuts in their areas and on this action called for next week obviously a union knows that taking strike action at a moment like this ahead of the Olympics Games is quite high risk in mm. terms of the strategy but it also knows it will certainly grab headlines and maximise publicity. Well of course and this has provoked quite a lot of reaction hasn't it? Yeah, that's right. A bit of a shame-off on the go because the Home Secretary, Theresa May, reacted angrily to, to this news yesterday, calling it shameful and that said that the union was trying to hold the country to ransom. But uh, the PCS General Secretary basically says what's shameful is the government's cuts and the way in which it's whipping up hysteria about the Olympics. Uh, Labour MP John McDonnell, who chairs the PCS parliamentary group, says the government's brought this row on its own head. What's been happening is I think this is being provoked by the government. They thought they could push through a round of further cuts, compulsory redundancies, and then bring in a private company back into the Home Office as well. Serco, that's already caused disasters with the Home Office in previous years. I think the government are trying to use the Olympics as a cover to push these cuts through because they thought no union would strike. Others aren't so sympathetic, it has to be said. John Cridland, who's uh, the Director-General of the Confederation of British Industries, says the PCS has just got this wrong. I think the whole country is getting behind the Olympics and we should be welcoming all of our international guests and giving them a good British welcome and this just isn't the way to do it. I think 999 of 1,000 people across the country will be seriously upset by this decision and I just think PCS members should go to work that day and get on doing what they do so well, which is serving the public and serving our international guests. It's not the time for a strike. And of course all of this comes on the face of a fairly turbulent week so far for the Olympics and, and today we've got a new voice reassuring us that the whole G4S affair hasn't compromised security. Yes, the uh, Head of Security and Counter-Terrorism at the Home Office, uh, Charles Farr, has been interviewed uh, for a BBC radio documentary that'll go out this weekend, and he's insisting that there's an even stronger level of security in place now because of, of the drafting in, we saw last week, of 3,500 troops. So he actually is saying that the Games are more secure now, in a sense, than they would have been without the whole G4S business, which, of course, has been so controversial. It is an interesting viewpoint, I suppose, but uh, I suppose it's for listeners to decide whether it's necessarily a reassuring one. Lisa, thank you very much. That's Lisa Costello there telling us about that. I'm, I'm sure we'll have more on that story as it progresses. Do you think that they are, members of this union, a right to strike? It is, you know, holding the country and the games, at the very least, to ransom, isn't it? But then, if they feel wronged, they need to get their point across as strongly as possible. And what better time to do it, in their opinion just before the Olympics. What do you think? Do you think it's selfish of them? Do you think they should wait until after the Olympics? Or do you think they are right to try and have as big an impact as possible? 08459 455. 555 is the telephone number. Give us a call there. 08459 455 555. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. 6.15. These are the headlines this morning on Friday the 20th July on BBC Three Counties Radio. A Hertfordshire Health Trust say they take health and safety issues very seriously after being ordered to pay almost half a million pounds after a care home worker was stabbed to death. 
The Hertfordshire Partnership, NHS Trust, was found guilty of breaching health and safety regulations after Stephen Flatt was placed at Abacus House in Dunstable and went on to kill Kathleen Bainbridge in 2007. Police have charged a worker at a Bedfordshire dental practice with poisoning two of her colleagues. Dental assistant Ravinda Kaur is accused of using dental mercury to poison two women at the practice in Shefford. In sport, Buckinghamshire's Luke Donald is six shots off the lead after the opening round of the Open Golf Championship at Royal Lytham. He carded a level par 70 with Australian Adam Scott, Scott heading the field after a 64. We'll have a full weather bulletin in just a few minutes. And coming up, two promising Bedfordshire footballers claim they haven't been given a fair chance by the professional game because they're Asian. Find out more before 7am. So the problem is, my boy has always loved having a bath. Always loved it. Like, from a very early age. It's funny, when you're new parents, for the first, I mean, he's two and a half now, we've got another baby, but the very first bath, we, ha- we actually had a book that took, gave us the instructions on what to do. We didn't know how to give a baby a bath. We, ha- we were reading, we go, what do we do now? Right, you put him in the water. Okay, put him in, put him in. Very weird. And he's always loved having a bath. And then just in the last sort of five or six days... He is not going anywhere near the bath. And we've got all of his toys. It's like a, it's a fun thing. We don't just sit in there and scrub him with a wire brush. And we do that as well. But, uh, you know, he's never liked having his hair washed. But we always make the, the bath fun. And the last couple of days, he has gone absolutely bonkers. So it's like he's got rabies or something. Is it rabies when you get scared of water? I think so. I'm not sure if that's a myth, actually. Anyway... Uh, he, he just won't go near it. And uh, the thing is, because he's, he's, he's got the chicken pox and, you know, it's all of this kind of stuff, he needs to have a bath to clean those unsightly spots. Uh, and so last night I managed to talk him into standing in the bath. And as soon as he got in, he went bonkers. Was screaming and crying and was all over the shop. I want to get out, I want to get... Very traumatic. Now, obviously, I don't want to put my boy through trauma, trauma but I don't want to have a stinky boy. As well, I don't want to have a stinky boy. So I need... I know we've got loads of mums and dads listening to this and loads of grandparents as well. So I need your tips on how I can get my two-and-a-half-year-old boy back into enjoying the bath. And he did, used to love it. We couldn't get... There was a period we could not get him out of the bath. As I said before, a wet two-and-a-half-year-old. Man, th- that's tough to hold. <laughs> you ever try to, to grab one of those? You can't. I'm being told that uh, the fear of water is a late sign of rabies. I don't think for a second that my child has got rabies, but it is definitely a symptom. Uh, so, uh, listen, mums and dads, grands and granddads, I need your, your advice on this. This is a serious thing. I'm, I'm being slightly flippant, but it, is, it could become a serious thing because I, don't, I do not want a stinky son. How do I get my boy in the bath without the trauma? How do I get him to enjoy the experience of having a bath? 08459. Four double five five double five oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I know there is a wealth of parenting experience listening to this show, and this is partly why I took this this gig for the next couple of weeks is because I can talk to you and get all of your advice for free. <laughs> That's why. Oh uh, eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. I, I really need your tips on this. Uh, if you want to send me a text as well. 81333, start your text 3CR. And the thing about why I'm doing this show, and I'm doing it this weekend for, for the next couple of weeks, is you can get in touch at any point about any of the stories we're talking about. I, I can't stress that enough. If there's something we're talking about and you've got an opinion on it, whether it's the strikes, whether it's the racism in football that's coming up, whether it's the weather we've got in a second with Jim, uh, anything like that, you can give me a call at any point and we will make sure that you, we'll do our best to get you on. 
08459 455 555. But I teased you, here it's coming. Thank you very much. We'll speak to you later on. That's Jim Bacon with the weather there, Lindsay. It's, uh, we might have some sunshine. Sing Hosanna. Right. Uh, 08459 455. 555 is the phone number if you want to give us a call at any point. Don't forget 81333. Start your text 3CR. An NHS trust and a care home have been sentenced over health and safety breaches which led to the death of a care worker in Dunstable. Bipolar patient Stephen Flatt stabbed Kathleen Bainbridge to death at Abacus House in 2007. Hertfordshire Partnership NHS Trust has been ordered to pay nearly half a million pounds in fines and costs. And the care home owner has been ordered to pay nearly 400,000 in fines and costs. Tim Carhill, Chief Executive of the Hertfordshire Partnership NHS Foundation Trust, gave this statement. We would like again to offer our condolences to um, the Bainbridge family um, uh, uh, and for their loss. Um, we take uh, health and safety and the safety of our staff and the safety of patients very seriously. And we will be looking very carefully at the findings of today to make sure that we review our processes so that these incidents don't happen again in the future. In this case, the health and safety executive worked with Central Bedfordshire Council, but they had two separate jobs. The HSE were prosecuting the trust, whereas the council dealt with the residential care home. Carl Howes, Inspector of Health at HSE, says justice has been done. Obviously, the, the, the level of fine uh, is down to the court to decide. Uh, we're pleased that there was a guilty verdict in this case. It's taken a long time to get to this stage, um, and I think we're all relieved that we're actually finished now. The judge obviously made his points about uh, the seriousness of the case, and obviously that is what is reflected in the level of fine that was given both to the Trust and to Mr Menner. The judge claimed Stephen Flat should never have been placed at Abacus in the care home. He said the trust didn't make a suitable risk assessment. Maurice Clay is in charge of public protection at Central Beds Council. He says there are many lessons to be learned from this case. I think one of the really important things as far as residential homes are concerned is that a risk assessment in such a situation is not purely centred on the patient or the resident in this instance, but it should take into account wider factors such as the environment, uh, the particular provisions and policies of the care home itself. There is a tendency to, to consider in, in that particular sector, there's a tendency, tendency cons- to consider that risk assessments are just care plans for the residents and they are much wider than that. Where Menor was concerned, the judge said he was responsible for people's safety. Staff had aired their fears about flat, but he didn't take them into consideration. It was concluded that he'd allowed commercial gain to guide him. Kathleen's family were all there at the sentencing. Their lives have been uh, put on hold for almost five years. Husband Tom Bainbridge was pleased with the punishment. The outcome was a brilliant outcome after four and a half years of um, going through uh, the torment and uh, not aggro so much, but uh, the ups and downs of being backwards and forwards to court because we could never put closure on anything. Um, because every three months we were back in court again, so everything would come up again. Um, yes, it's a nice relief to be over with, but again, the amount of money has been wasted. Nearly a million pounds. How many people are going to suffer because people didn't admit guilt in the first place? It's just an incredible story, and uh, we'll be speaking to Tom in more detail later on in the programme. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Breakfast. 
08459 455 555 is the phone number. If any of these stories touch you or you want to comment on them, you're more than welcome to. This is your breakfast show, so come on and air your views. That's what it's all about. Otherwise, it's just me wittering on. You know what I mean? I'm, I bore me, for God's sakes. 08459 455 555. It's the Pet Shop Boys, always on my mind. I've had a text from Lindsay and Steamish. Thank you, Lindsay. Regarding the uh, main thrust of today's show, how do I get my two-and-a-half-year-old boy into the bath? Uh, Lindsay says, if he had chicken pox, perhaps the water is hurting him a little. Will he let you just sponge him and try again when the spots are clear? Well, I've asked him. He's very good at the, kind of telling you what's wrong. Uh, and uh, he said he, he's not in any pain. There's no discomfort at all. So it's not that. And I was trying to talk to him last night, and I was being very reasonable and reasoned. And I was saying, so why, why don't you want to get into the bath? It's too wet. Okay, when you're dealing with that kind of logic, there's not really, not really a lot you can deal with. Thank you, Lindsay. Eight one three double three. Start your text three uh, CR if you want to. Uh, and I do like the way <laughs> I do. I do like doing this show. It's a lot of fun. I'm here for another couple of weeks. Uh, and I do like the way uh, that I can throw out all of these kind of big stories. Uh, and there's a lot of big stories. We've got racism in football. We, we've uh, lots of things today. The, the potential strike. And the thing that you get in touch about is my little boy having a bath. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for that. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Love it or hate it, the rain just keeps coming at the minute. For some businesses, it's great. For others, the weather is costing them a lot of money. Our reporter, Serena Farrow, has been to a watercress farm. Really? A watercress farm? Uh, in Whitwell. Hertfordshire to find out the effect. But first, she stopped off at an allotment in Stevenage to speak to plot owner Richard Seymour to see how his veg, in particular his potatoes, have been suffering. It's also been quite warm recently and, and with all the dampness we've had potato blight quite early. Normally you get, get it um, like later in the year. Once you get that it spreads very, very quickly because it's airborne. It can destroy entire crops. And that's indeed what we're doing. We're digging around the potatoes as we speak. Uh, the, you know, the, uh, the first sign of them, I just have to dig them up and destroy them, burn them, something like that. But so far, so good. And should we check on the cabbages over here? These are, these are cauliflowers there. Oh. They've struggled a bit because... Yeah, these cauliflowers have struggled a bit because it's just not been sunny enough. I, mean, I think we're going to get some good summer next week, they say, and that should help. And they're covered over? Yeah, this, uh, that's called environment. That's... Um, to keep the birds and insects out. And speaking of little uh, creepy crawlies and creatures, you were saying the slugs are bigger and, and that's they're quite detrimental as well. Oh, it's like science fiction film sometimes. You come down here, these things are enormous. There are certain things they don't eat. They, they won't eat beetroot for some reason, but there are plenty of things they, they do eat. And it's not just slugs. We've had wood lice, ants, and particularly bad this year. And that's down to the weather? A lot of that's down to the weather, yeah. What else other than potatoes then suffering? What If you've got to put seeds straight into the ground, you'll struggle then because, I mean, I tried carrots, I tried two or three times, and not just me, a lot of people around here, they just failed. It was either they got washed away or it was too cold or too gloomy, but they just didn't work, so I gave up with them and um, no parsnips growing. For people that can't see, we've just got, like, um, a patch of mud. <laughs> a patch of mud. That's, that, that is high-quality soil, that is, <laughs> allotment soil. I've worked very hard on that patch of mud, thank you very much. But I have <laughs> got... Um, I've got... <laughs> thank you, I've got radishes growing there, so they're, they're fine. I was going to give you some, but you forget that now. So we're in July, we're a little bit left of summer. Are you hoping it's going to be great so you can actually benefit? Oh, yeah, it's a very social 
thing as well. That's, that's another thing we've missed out on. A lot of people come down here just to sit around and drink tea and chat, but it's it's been difficult to find the time. And it's you know, we've only really got sort of two three hours at a time of sun. If you can, you can dash down there and do some work, and then it starts raining again. It's been struggle just to even be able to get down here. I'm Mr. Derek Sampson, watercress grower. Well, it's the size of a big football pitch, isn't it? The land you've got here. Three acres here. If it was sunny and hot, the watercress would go to seed quick, flower quick. If it's like this, it stays normal. We mustn't say, but we rather had this weather. Otherwise, if you don't have much water, what happens then? Beforehand, we had a drought, didn't we? And now, the water levels are nearly back to normal. See that piece of green oh, down? fluffy, isn't it? Yeah. Like standing on it, what, about, yeah. I don't know, 20, 30 centimetres, isn't yeah. it, really? Mm. And this is... It's holding the root, the root's on the bottom, but it's got to start to grow. Yeah. And when it starts to grow, that'll be there September time. We're going all through until Christmas. Really? Mm. What do you do? Do you create them up? 20 in a box. How many did you send off on your last batch? 10 boxes. Some goes to Cambridge and some goes to Bedford and some goes to Biggleswell. That was all sad. Well, more people eating watercress now. Are they? Yeah. Well, they say it's good for cancer and they're good for the other things, so... A watercress farm? I'm, I'm shocked and I'm, I'm impressed. I'm shocked. That's a lot of damp kitchen towels and old flannels, isn't it? Because that's what you grow watercress on, I think. I seem to remember, on a windowsill. You need a windowsill and an old flannel to do it. And Richard Seymour, um, who's got an allotment uh, in Stevenage, was talking about slugs won't eat his beetroot. I'll tell you why. Because beetroot is horrible! It is the worst. It's just such a disgusting thing. I'm getting evils from the production team who love beetroot. It's disgusting. My wife loves it, and she, like, boils it and fries it and roasts it and all, does all this kind of stuff with it, and I, I've tried it, and I, I, do, I tried it, and it is just the most disgusting, unpleasant, pointless, smelly, staining food. You get some beetroot juice on your shirt, that shirt might as well go in the bin, because you ain't never going to get that out. Let me tell you now. 08459 455 555. Beetroot, really? Is there anybody listening to this with an ounce of common sense that enjoys beetroot? I think not. No, I know I'm being harsh, because I, I feel strongly about this. I'm supposed, Here, I'm supposed to be impartial. And, but with beetroot, I just cannot do it. I cannot uh, display impartiality when it comes to something as disgusting as the beetroot. And anyone who thinks that um, the growing uh, vegetables is easy, it isn't. I tried to grow some in the back garden um, uh, a couple of years ago. We had a couple of years where we tried it and just could not do it. It is the hardest thing. In the, they, they all, the, the potatoes went all mouldy. The shallots went all soft. Very tough. 08459 455 555. Can you call up in defence of the humble beetroot. George Shepherd from Wing. We're talking about watercress. That's cress. Not watercress you grow on blotting paper. Watercress likes ponds and streams, you idiot. He doesn't call me an idiot, but I, I kind of get that in the tone. And, and George, I, I salute you, and I appreciate you pointing me in the right direction. Thank you very much. Uh, I stand corrected for being absolutely ridiculous. Should we go through a few of the front pages? We've got uh, a couple of minutes. Let's just do a couple of them. We won't do all of them. Uh, the Guardian. Policeman cleared of a G20 death, but questions remain. Met amidst a mistakes over acquitted officer as disciplinary record emerges. This is an incredible story uh, about the police officer who's been cleared uh, yesterday of uh, killing Ian Tomlinson at the G20 process in 2009. But it would appear that um, he his record is not completely um, blemish-free and that he has been accused 
of um, displaying aggression in the past, I think, is, is perhaps the best way to describe that. The Daily Telegraph. Border guards to strike on the eve of the Olympics. Um, Ale Wigo, Britain poised for victory. This is Bradley Wiggins. If you've, have you seen a picture of Bradley Wiggins without his helmet? Because he's a mod. He's a mod. He's got, like, the proper mod, um, sort of, Paul, there was, a, there was a, it was in one of the papers a couple of days ago, a picture of him with Paul Weller, and he's got the full, sort of, mod haircut. And as soon, cause I always, for some reason, imagined him to be an old man. Now, of course, he's not an old man. He's, he's winning the Tour de France. Of course he's not going to be. But I saw that picture and instantly thought, oh, yeah, good on you, Bradley Wiggins. Suddenly I'm interested in this, this story. There's a mod, potentially, going to win the Tour de France. Um, and uh, f- the Times' final one for the moment, IMF house price alert, correction needed, an overvalued property market. Down from the mountains, it's Paris, here I come, there's another picture of Bradley Wiggins, and the G20 officer had a long history of misconduct. We'll do some of the other uh, stories a little bit later on. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Friday, July the 20th, it's 6.46 and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A Hertfordshire Health Trust say they take health and safety issues very seriously after being ordered to pay almost half a million pounds after a care home worker was stabbed to death. The Hertfordshire Partnership NHS Trust was found guilty of breaching health and safety regulations after Stephen Flatt was placed at Abacus House in Dunstable and went on to kill Kathleen Bainbridge in 2007. Unions are defending the decision by thousands of home office workers to go on strike the day before the Olympic Games begin next week. Immigration workers at Heathrow Airport are among members of the PCS union planning to walk out for 24 hours next Thursday over job cuts and pay. In sport, England's cricketers resume on 267 for three this morning on day two of the first test against South South Africa at the Oval. Alistair Cook is 114 not out. And your weather across beds, hearts and bucks... Cloudy with a few bright intervals, but also scattered showers, perhaps heavy. Maximum temperature around 18 degrees Celsius. Showers tomorrow, but warm and sunny on Sunday. Coming up... Oh, this is a cracking story, this. I'm looking forward to this. If you have a bell... Yeah. You're being urged to ring it this time next week. Find out why after seven. Uh, And on Nick's show today... Antiques expert David Fletcher. Do you know I once, you know you can, on those sky boxes and things like that, you can series link a program. So you press a button and it records, like, the whole series or something. I once series linked the whole series of Cash in the Attic. I love, love Cash in the Attic. I love people. I love the stories of why they need the money. I want to take the kids to Disneyland. All right, fair play. So I need a thousand pounds. But then they'll just sell, they'll just sell their um, memories, you know. Ah, oh, this belonged to my dad, he died in the 80s. Do you want to keep it for sentimental value? No, 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 it's, uh, no, we'll sell it. It's worth 50 quid. Yeah, no, we'll, get, we'll take that. They don't care, I love it. Anyway, antiques expert David Fletcher is on Nick Cuffer's show today. He's from Bedford. Have a look in your loft or your cupboards, uh, and you might find something of value. You can call Nick between 1 and 2pm today, and David will value your objects. If you want, uh, it would be, if you can email a photo, that might help, actually. And a short description. Um, email nick at bbc.co.uk between now and midday. Get your calls in early, because it's a busy hour. Don't call now. I can't help with the antiques. That would, uh, would be highly inappropriate. 08459 455 555 if you want to call my show. Now, this is fascinating. Two promising Bedfordshire footballers claim they haven't been given a fair chance by the professional game because they're Asian. Hussein Shah and Joe Luca feature in a BBC documentary called Is Football Racist? which followed the progress of youth side Luton United. Hussein told former Watford and Luton defender Clark Carlisle, who's now the chairman of the Professional Footballers Association, that one coach said he couldn't take them on 
because of their origin. Straight after the whole trial, my dad um, was having a chat with one of the guys who's obviously scouting. There's a black guy who spoke to my dad and he said to him, I've been specifically employed to not take on Asian people. As soon as I heard that and you know, my heart started beating fast, like, that's the doors closed for me now. And everyone knew that I had talent. I mean, I used to be top goal scorer every season. I scored like 86 goals, 84, 84 goals in a season yeah. match. I remember I used to dominate the field. Uh, 84 goals in a season is just incomprehensible. Have you been given a fair crack of the whip? I just haven't given my chance. You're, did, you're the skipper of the county yeah, team. skipper of the county team. And I just feel like I've been like the short straw. Like, I was that person that never got the chance to get anywhere. I find it quite unbelievable that the captain of a county team has not gotten a chance at a club. It's unheard of. It, um, virtually, if I go back through my county team and the county teams that I played against, virtually every single player was at a club. I find that utterly ludicrous that the captain of a county team has not had... A, you've not had a way in it. No, I've, I've been captain for almost everything I played for. Right, I have always been of the thought that if you were good enough, you would get your chance. How can that be true? and then Asians be discriminated against. How does that work? Racism. That's all it is. That's, what I truly believe is just, what you just said now, is it all comes down to racism then. That's all I can say. It's just simple and straightforward. It's, just, it's racism. Because everyone says, oh, you're not going to make because you're brown. Everyone says it to you. Even like, I've been asked, oh, do you, are you sure you even play? Are you sure you're not wasting your time? Yes, brilliant players. They're just not given a chance. They're not given a chance. Why? Well, how come they're given a chance in cricket? But when it's football, there's a totally different aspect. It just seems like the South Asian man is is fighting the fight that black minority players were fighting years ago. You know, here are two guys of blatant and obvious talent. One lad, Joe, he's the captain of district teams, county teams, every club team he's been at. Yet he'll sit there at 18 years of age and tell me he's got no chance in football. I find that utterly astounding. They just face a brick wall. How can you have such an untapped resource just through prejudicial discrimination? That's incredible, isn't it? It is 2012, not 1976, isn't it? I find that amazing. I know this story was kind of floated yesterday as being possible for this show. I'm not a huge football fan, as as I may have mentioned, but uh, I, I did think, I can't think of any Asian footballers. I don't know that many footballers, I'm honest, but I can't think of any Asian footballers. There's a couple of Chinese lads, and I think maybe I've seen one Japanese lad. But that's it, really. If you've been affected by this, could you give me a call and let me know? We're going to talk later in the show. We're going to hear from the coach of Luton United and the chairman of the Bedfordshire Football Association. But uh, if you've been affected by this in any way, maybe you're Asian and uh, you've struggled to get into football teams... Uh, or maybe you're a football fan. Oh eight four five nine, four double five, five double five. Let me. I, I, I'm so naive when it comes to things like racism and homophobia because I kind of think, well, yeah, you know, everyone's fine, everyone's equal, everyone's great. And then you hear something like that, and you go, actually, I, I've got my head in the sand. If that's true, then that's incredible. Oh eight four five nine. Four double five, five double five. Now, I'm, it turns out I'm, I've annoyed a lot of you listeners this morning for, for many reasons, but the main reason is my dissing of the beetroot. Uh, Pat is in South Oxy. Good morning, Pat. Oh, good morning, Ian. Pat, you, uh, you've called up to complain about my views on beetroots. Oh, I have. I Go was on. 14 when I walked, worked on the land in 1947, and um, 
my father grew beetroot, yeah. and for my lunch, often I got... Oh, what I must say is I got 12 ounces of cheese extra because for the family because I worked on the land. And uh, my lunch is... was cheese and beetroot sandwiches. Oh, most, my. Most often. Why would you put beetroot in a... A cheese sandwich is God's gift to us. It's, I've got cheese sandwiches in my, <laughs> my packed lunch. It's, it's, it's a gift. It's one of the finest, most noblest, noblest pieces of food you can have. Why would you soil it with beetroot? Well, you didn't put, you know, the vinegar was drained off. But my daughter now, who's 58, she eats beetroot. I cook beetroot and she'll eat beetroot like an apple. Oh, no! And I tell you what, you just do not realise that they are so good for you. I, listen, I know they're good for you, but, but you know... Well, listen, you have, to, you have to just overcome these things. <laughs> if a doctor gives you medicine and he said, that's good for you, you take it. If, well, well, yes. Well, if you started eating beetroot and found the joys of eating beetroot, lovely, you know, mayonnaise on it or salt and things like that, and I'm in my 80th year and I'm growing courgettes Wonderful. and beans... And I'm disabled. Pat, well, listen, well done you for uh, for giving us a little bit of a potted history of your life and for defending the beetroot. I never thought I'd hear the phrase, the joys of beetroot. There's a book in there. Pat in South Oxy, thank you so much. 08459 455 555. When she said that her daughter eats beetroot like an apple... Oh, man. I'm sorry. That really has set me off. Cheese sandwich, though, is, it is a gift from above, isn't it? I've got cheese and coleslaw in my pack lunch this morning. Should we have that a little bit later on? It's them Beatles and Daytrip. With songs like this, it's hard not to play the drums on the table, isn't it? I was bashing away on the table for the whole of that tune. Steady now. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. We've got plenty coming up in... Uh, uh, the next couple of hours of the show. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties. This is your breakfast show. I'm here till nine o'clock. Uh, I, I do love the fact that um, uh, <laughs> we're doing all these quite serious stories. Um, and the things that you are getting in touch with via the text and the phone calls are how I can get my two and a half year old boy into the bath and beetroots. Yeah, that's right. And I'm more than happy to take your calls and texts on those. Of course I am. But you can, just so you know, you can call in about anything. Any of the things that we're touching, 08459, 455, 555. Uh, it's Thursday, uh, not Thursday, what, what on earth am I talking about? Whoa, calm down, it's Friday the 20th. Don't add an extra day to the week, boy. Move on. Friday the 20th of July. Uh, uh, we might have nice weather on Sunday. That's something to look forward to, isn't it? Coming up in the next hour. If you've got a bell, we need to hear from you. Uh, bear with me. And also, do you regret getting married? A lot of people do, apparently. More after the news with Simon Oxley. Things have got very tense here in the, uh, the studio. I'm eating a carrot. And my producer has just come in, come in and gone, Ugh, carrot? Beetroots are much better than carrots. What are you talking about? Of course they're not. Carrots are like chocolate, but without the chocolate taste. Huh? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Good morning. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Your breakfast show through till nine. And Jonathan comes in and takes over. Lots of stuff to talk about this morning. Racism in football. You've heard that mentioned in the news. We'll be discussing that a little bit more. Uh, Olympic bells. I love these weird, sort of slightly artsy campaigns to get people to do things. I love all that stuff. We'll be discussing why you should be ringing an Olympic bell later on. And also... Justin Dealey is out discussing uh, the people who regret their marriage. Divorce, I think, is on the increase. 
Do you regret getting married? It's hard work, isn't it? Of course it is. Of course it is. But for the most part, it's, it's pretty cool. You get to hang out with the person that you love. What, what, what's bad about that? 08459 455 555. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. But first, uh, a tragic story. An NHS trust in Hertfordshire is having to pay out nearly half a million pounds over, over the death of a care home worker. Kathleen Bainbridge was working at Abacus House in Dunstable when bipolar patient Stephen Flatts stabbed her to death in 2007. The court heard the home wasn't set up to cope with him. The Hertfordshire Partnership NHS Trust was found guilty of health and safety regulations uh, along with the former owner of Abacus House. Both were fined in order to pay hundreds of thousands of pounds in costs. Let's talk now to Carl Howells from the Health and Safety Executive and Maurice Clay from Central Bedfordshire Council. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Uh, Carl, let's, let's start with you first. The HSE were prosecuting the NHS Trust. Remind us why this case was brought against them. Uh, well, the case, as you say, stemmed from uh, the, the stabbing at Abacus House. Um, and initially, obviously, the police investigated um, as a murder inquiry. Um, but eventually, the, the case was passed to both the Health and Safety Executive and Central Bedfordshire Council. Um, to look at the health and safety failings by the two parties. Um, so we started proceedings um, in late 2010. Uh, we were both involved in the investigation right at the beginning, but mm. obviously we have to wait for the police to, to carry out their investigations first. Are you satisfied with the outcome? Um, I think the, the level of fine uh, demonstrates that the, the judge took this very seriously. Um, and he recognised that um, the failures both by both the Trust and by Mr Menner um, were significant in contributing to the death of Mrs Bainbridge. Um, so it, I think it sends out the right message that um, th- this is a serious case. And j- just to, to clarify, Mr Menner owned the care home? Uh, that's correct, yes. OK. Uh, how difficult was the case to bring because it, it happened five years ago that seems an incredible length of time it did and um it, it has taken a long time it has been a very complex case as i say the police first of all investigated um a murder um and then following um the sentencing of um the gentleman who was placed there they then also investigated um as a gross negligence manslaughter case Mm. Um, but the Crown Prosecution Service decided that there wasn't that case to take, and at that point we then commenced the health and safety proceedings. Okay, so it has been very complicated. What do you hope is is learnt from this? Well, uh, from my point of view, that we would hope that um, NHS trusts and anybody else placing patients actually take some uh, time and care in the placement process. I think what was identified in court was that this particular uh, placement uh, of of the patient from N- the NHS in Hertfordshire mm. to Abacus House was done in what can only be described as a rushed and and they bypassed a lot of things that they should have done. Um, so so people do have to take care when there's a risk. Of- Why did they bypass? That seems you know just a, a crazy thing to do. Was it was it lack of resources? Was it just people cutting corners? Why why did they do that? 
Um, well, well, the judge described it from the trust point of view as, as not joined up and systemic failing. Right. Um, in that, um, that, that, obviously, a trust is a huge number of people, mm. and you can't contribute it just to one particular person making a decision. But there, w- there was a, a sort of a list of failings, right. really, of them, them going through the decision-making process and not coming to a logical conclusion. Mm. And it's just ended up in this, this terrible tragedy. Maurice Clay, you're from uh, Central Beds Council. You deal with public safety, and you bought the case against the residential care home. It's worrying. It's terrifying. How can you be sure this isn't going to happen again? I think one of the important things that the judge mentioned was that uh, very often in a situation like this, the emphasis is placed on the care plan for the individual patient. Um, Now, in health and safety terms, we're looking at a much bigger picture. And what needs to be taken into account is the environment into which somebody like Stephen Flatt is placed, Mm. uh, ensuring that you don't just think about his needs, although obviously they're very, very important. You don't just think about the, the individual's needs, but you think about other people who may be affected in the placement into which they are put, such as the other residents and, and employees, and also the characteristics of that particular location are taken into account as well. Uh, in terms of you know w- what uh, adjustments need to be made to, uh, to make sure that the, the whole uh, placement is safe, because Stephen Flat um, suffering from paranoid schizophrenia, uh, and he had had violent incidences incidents in his past. So, do you think that more needs to be done to check people's history before they're they're placed in something like this? I think the, the history of Mr. Flat was was very well known, particularly to the trust, and, and that that was emphasised. And, and possibly, uh, what what didn't happen here was that that the the significance of his history. Uh, was made plain to the staff at Abacus House. Uh, I think it's accepted that um, certain information was passed between the trust and the homeowner, Mm. uh, but there's an issue as to exactly how much information was passed, and certainly an an issue as to, of that information, how much was shared with the, the... the staff at the home, the staff at Abacus House. Morris, what do you think is going to change as a result of this case? Certainly the Trust are on record already as saying that they're going to uh, look very closely at their procedures and uh, ensure that something like this is avoided as far as possible. Uh, as far as the individual care homes are concerned, um, they're, a lot of them are very relatively small independent businesses, certainly in comparison with a, a business that the size of uh, Hertfordshire Partnership Trust is. Um, but it's... It, as I said earlier, it's incumbent upon businesses like that to look at the wider picture of health and safety. They're not just considering mm. the safety of the resident, him or herself, but they're also considering the wider picture, the, the environment, their suitability to be taking on somebody like that. Uh, Maurice Clay from Central Bedfordshire Council, Carl Howells from the Health and Safety Executive, thank you very much. I mean, terribly tragic story. We've also been given a comment from uh, Tom Cahill, Chief Executive of the Hertfordshire Partnership NHS Foundation Trust, who gave this statement. We would like again to offer our condolences to um, the Bainbridge family um, uh, uh, and for their loss. Um, we take uh, health and safety and the safety of our staff and the safety of patients very seriously. And we will be looking very carefully at the findings of today to make sure that we review our processes so that these incidents don't happen again in the future. We'll be talking more about that um, 
a little bit later on and as, as always with this kind of show it's, it seems difficult to go from uh, something so serious and tragic to something so light and flippant but it's the nature of this kind of show and, and we do have to move on um, and uh, the, the, the texts have been coming in thick and fast I'm in trouble with you dear listener <laughs> For my, my staunch views on beetroot, I think beetroot is just disgusting. It really is. It, it's pointless. It's actually pointless. We just have a, a text. There's no name. There's nothing. All it says is beetroot and salad cream sandwiches. That's all it says. 81333. Uh, cite your text 3CR. Beetroot has many health benefits. Also, did you know it can be used in some cake recipes, says Phil? Yeah, in beetroot cake. And that's a cake I never want to eat. I never want to eat a beetroot cake as long as I live. Uh, beetroot makes your wee red, says Vic. Thank you, Vic, for that. But y- if we can keep it above the waist, before Jonathan's show at nine o'clock, please. Amongst, Jamaican, uh, beetro- amongst Jamaicans, beetroot and carrot juice drink is very popular. It's mixed with Guinness, and if you, lo- if you drank it, you would love beetroot. Fee and Luton. I don't think I would. You're really... You're not selling this to me. If anything, you're making it sound worse. And Jane in Welling Garden City, the, 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 main, the main reason I've turned up for work today is to find out how I can get my two-and-a-half-year-old boy into the bath. He used to love the bath. The last five or six nights, he stopped loving the bath, and it, it's getting worse and worse in tantrums. And I don't want to do that thing where you kind of push him so that 30 years from now, he's sat in a therapist's office and going, well, I remember when my, I, my dad made me have a bath, and that's why I, you know, I can, I can only, you know, whatever. Uh, but, but Jane says, uh, don't force him. Use a sponge to wash him, but run a bath and play with bath toys every night until he wants to get in. Don't make it a battle. Uh, you could get in the bath and let him play in the bathroom. Do not... Uh, that's an idea, actually. I might do that tonight. I might get in the bath. There's an, there's an image for you, dear listener. <laughs> Me in the bath. It's a, it's a lovely sight. Um, do not try to coax him. Just wait for him to ask to get in when he's ready and sees you having fun. That's, a good, that's what... Jane, I'm going to do that tonight. Then she says, he will not be stinky. He is two. Oh, ho, ho. two-year-olds are well stinky. Do you know what goes on with a two-year-old? Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. Your headlines this morning at 7.16 on Friday, July the 20th. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. A Hertfordshire Health Trust say they take health and safety issues very seriously after being ordered to pay almost half a million pounds after a care home worker was stabbed to death. The Hertfordshire Partnership NHS Trust was found guilty of breaching health and safety regulations after Stephen Flat was placed at Abacus House in Dunstable and went on to kill Kathleen Bainbridge in 2007. Unions are defending the decision by thousands of home office workers to go on strike the day before the Olympic Games begin next week. Immigration workers at Heathrow Airport are among members of the PCS union planning to walk out for 24 hours next Thursday over job cuts and pay. The Home Secretary, Theresa May, has called it shameful. In sport, Buckinghamshire's Luke Donald is six shots off the lead after the opening round of the Open Golf Championship at Royal Lytham. He carded a level past 70 with Australian Adam Scott heading the field after a 64. There's a full sports bulletin in 15 minutes. Weather coming up soon. And coming up, a recent, now this is fascinating, and you'll definitely have a view on this. A recent study found that half of all people questioned regretted getting married. Does that apply to you? Things change when you get married. They do change. I and mean, we had kids pretty early on in the marriage. And things really change when you have kids, of course, because the, the focus of attention is not on the two of you. It's on that thing, sitting on the floor, crying. Uh, but after marriage, things change. Don't they? How did things change for you when you got married? Not necessarily for the worse or for the better. They just change. Of course they do. Or maybe they didn't. 08459 
455. 555 is the telephone number. How did things change after you got married? <clears throat> Excuse me. And do you regret getting married? And here's the question. How soon after getting married did you regret it? Now, this is a fantastic story. I'm very excited by this. I genuinely am. I love things like this. If you've got a bell, have you? You'd know if you did. You're being urged to use it this time next week to join in a mass ringing of bells to mark the start of the Olympics. Across the UK, school bells, church bells, doorbells. There you go. Everyone's got a doorbell. Bicycle bells will ring at exactly 12 minutes past eight in the morning for three minutes. The man behind the project is Turner Prize winning artist Martin Creed. Here's an example of one of his compositions. morning <laughs> martin's on the line now hello martin hello i love it it sounds fantastic why bell ringing yeah because i thought that um bells are the loudest instrument that there is you know so f- for making a public piece of music mm. i thought um they would be the best instrument to use because the sound carries over a long distance which is why the, you know which is why churches and other places have always used them, you know, and from the days before there was amplifiers or PA systems. Mm. Uh, so, I so, the, and then when I got, when I started thinking about it, um, I thought, uh, I don't know which bells are the best ones, you know, so then I thought, oh, it should just be for all bells. And so you're including doorbells in this? Yeah, I. You're not, you, you don't actually, sound sure about it. <laughs> well, I don't mind. You know, all bells just means all 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 bells. <laughs> I, I don't. Um, I think it's. Uh, I don't. It's not. Um, I don't. I really. Uh, the more bells, the better. I think. How many and people? Actually, my go on, my sorry, favorite go on. is uh, fire bells. Are my favorite. Oh, that's a, that's a, a, a harsh noise. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, well, they seem the most um, urgent <laughs> and powerful bells. How many people are you expecting a- to take part in this? I don't know, actually. Um, I, 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 I don't know, and um, uh, I don't know how to gauge it. It's a thing that's happening, you know, all over the place. Yeah. So I don't think I'll know really how many people will. People can register, can't they? Isn't there a website where they can go and say they're going to take part in this? Yeah, there's a website which is allthebells.com and you can register and get a free download, which is a ringtone. So um, you could participate with the with the ring, which is what you played just now. That was the free the free download that they can get from. What was it? That's that was a ringtone you played. um, Rather than it being a kind of piece of music that. I would expect people to sit down and listen. <laughs> <laughs> How very modern. We played a ringtone. Look at us, very 2012. <laughs> uh, and so pe- what do people exactly need to do? At uh, 12 minutes past eight, it's next Friday, isn't it? Aye, so the idea is at 12 minutes past eight on the opening day of the Olympics, um, the idea is to try to ring all the bells in Britain for three minutes. Fantastic. At, at 12 minutes past eight. Man, listen. It's a, like a piece of music for a special occasion. And, th- and I'm guessing you're hoping that people will be able to stick their head out the doors and th- the-, the country will be alive with bells ringing. 
Yeah, well, yeah, and everyone's welcome. Brilliant, uh, Martin. Listen, we're going to be we're going to be doing it next week. We're, we're going to be doing it on the air. Okay, I think so. So okay. superb. Best of luck, Martin. I think that's fantastic. That's Martin Creed, uh, Turner Prize-winning artist. Um, uh, Eight twelve next Friday. Get your bells. Can we get some bells in the studio, please? Because I want to be part of this. I love stuff like this. I love stuff when it's the whole country being asked to do something a little bit. Well, it's a little bit bonkers, isn't it? But it's brilliant. Everyone joining in. Martin, thank you very much. Best of luck. Now, earlier on in the programme, uh, we heard, and I was shocked to hear this story, we heard from two Asian footballers who claim they can't break into the professional game because of their race. Hussein Shah and Joe Luca played for youth side Luton United and speaking on the BBC's documentary Is Football Racist, they say they haven't been given a fair chance. Straight after the whole trial, my dad um, was having a chat with one of the guys who's obviously scouting. There's a black guy who spoke to my dad and he said to him, I've been specifically employed to not take on Asian people. As soon as I heard that and you know, my heart started beating fast, like, that's the doors closed for me now. Because everyone says, oh, you're not going to make because you're brown. Everyone says it to you. Even like, I've been asked, oh, do you, are you sure you even play? Are you sure you're not wasting your time? Yeah, it's brilliant yeah, players. They're just not given a chance. Definitely. They're not given a chance. Why, well, how come they're given a chance in cricket? But when it's football, there's a totally different aspect. Butch Fazal is the coach of Luton United and is also the chairperson of the National Asians in Football Forum. He's been coaching Asian youngsters in Luton for nearly 30 years and told our reporter Simon Watts that few players he's coached have come close to reaching the professional game. They haven't really had the opportunity in the past. The accessibility to the game has been poor. Over the past five or six years, I've seen a gradual change in there in the way the governing body are operating and it's more open it's more transparent and there are opportunities now over the last five years we've had three lads who have who have gone on two at Luton Town one at Milton Keynes Dons and and they're still in the academies now we heard the story of Hussein Shah and Joe Lucas earlier both look to have promising futures ahead of them in the game were they are they good enough to make it in professional football were they in the case of Hussein at 14 absolutely I think everyone in the league was aware of him at that time. Unfortunately, the only people that weren't aware of him were the professional football clubs around that time. But their scouting didn't spread far and wide, and it certainly didn't spread in the, into the Asian community. That resource is untapped, and if they were to have worked a little bit harder in those areas, then they would have found him. And then he did come to them eventually, but it was quite, you know, he was obviously quite despondent after a few weeks at some of the clubs that he was at. And it was unfortunate that he was, he, was, he was let go. In the case of Joe, I think that um, he's still young. He's 17. He, he's still got hope. But, I mean, he has, he's just got to work hard. And uh, let's see if he can get the break after this, uh, after this piece that he's done. Why do you think uh, so far they haven't been given the chance in the professional game? What reasons have been given? You don't get a reason. That's the really frustrating thing. If I, if I had a reason for every time that someone hadn't made it, I would go back a lot harder at my football club and work on those, uh, those issues. What sort of reaction have you had since uh, the documentary? I think a lot of people, especially the Asian community themselves, are not surprised, if I'm being perfectly honest with you. Those who, who, who talk about the community as, as not being good enough uh, are not really looking at the situation themselves. I mean, if we look at the, the statistics themselves, it will bear out that there's inequality within the game. Most of the response has been, has been relatively positive. In fact, to the point where a lot of those young under-14s that were, that were actually highlighted in the documentary itself... Four or five of them, they decided to write to a few football clubs. And they've actually, believe it or not, um, five of them are off for trials within the next week in the summer holidays as well. So they're really quite excited about that. And I think that's a real positive aspect that's come out of it. Do you feel that the Football Association have a responsibility or is it down to 
individual clubs to maybe change their perceptions and stereotypes they have of these players? Do you know, I, I think that it's both. I think the governing body has a social and moral responsibility, as I said before, to the game itself. But I also think that if we're, if we're going to have a change, the vision has to be not only from the governing body, but also the professional football clubs and the semi-professional football clubs and even the, the grassroots football club and their approach to just regular players that, that attend their sessions anyway. And if you're good enough you should be playing at the highest level regardless. And this idea around negative stereotypes, I will challenge them all day long. We just look at the demographics of this town itself. An awful lot of the community lives in some of the most deprived areas of the town itself. And these kids, these young kids are just as aspirational, have just as much hope as anyone else. And all they want is an opportunity and if that opportunity is given by either Luton Town or a, or a surrounding club who, are, who have decided to create a project which is giving these kids the opportunity that I'm pretty sure that that untapped resource in the end bear fruits for them as well. Well in the next hour of the programme we'll speak to the chairman of the Bedfordshire Football Association about the efforts being made to give Asian youngsters a chance in the county. 08459 455 555 is the phone number if you want to talk about that or any of the other stories we been discussing uh, and i'm going to put out my personal plea again i'm struggling to get my two and a half year old boy into the bath he loves the, he, he loves the bath but the last six five or six nights won't go anywhere near it tears tears before bedtime screaming and oh, no, don't do it. i asked him last night and i was going why why don't you want to get in the bath one of those calm moments of discussion that, that we sometimes have and he said it's too wet so I, I know there are mums and dads and grands and grandparents listening to this show right now i need your uh, advice i need your wisdom on this i, I don't want to force him to do it because i don't want it to become an issue how do i get a, two, a reluctant two and a half year old into the bath what do i do oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give me a call uh, you can text as well eight one three double three start your text three cr uh, and email three cr at bbc.co.uk there's also the ways to get in touch if you want to take part in the great beetroot debate i have dissed the beetroot i don't like the beetroot but it turns out some of you do which is pretty cool. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Simon. They're very packed. Uh, half hour, 25 minutes now between uh, now and 8 o'clock. Starting with a Buckinghamshire marriage counsellor says the number of people coming to her for help is rising. It comes as a recent study found that half of the 4,000 people questioned regretted getting married. <laughs> Justin Dealey, you can tell us more, sir. I can indeed, Ian. Um, you're happily married, aren't you, Ian? I'm married, yes. Yeah. No, of course, <laughs> I, yeah, no, of course I'm joking. Yes, I'm, I'm very happily married, very happily married. Yes, well, I'm in Aylesby this morning, and marriage, of course, is something which uh, most people don't enter into lightly. But uh, uh, this morning, I've been trying to find out whether people are happily married. It's, it was an idea from the production team. I know what, Justin, why don't you go to Aylesbury at 7 o'clock in the morning and ask people whether they are happily married? It's, it's, t- it's a tough one to do, but uh, I've managed to find Glenn, and this is what he had to say. So, Glenn, 34 years of marriage, for you, absolutely no regret. None at all. What's the greatest thing about your marriage? Greatest thing about my marriage is my wife being there for me as I've been there for her and for the children. Yeah, and everything works well. And your daughter got married recently. She How proud need... were you, the father of the bride? What, what, what was the speech like? 
fantastic <laughs> so they told me fantastic yeah I practiced for about three months so it went, went down very well and you don't know anybody who regrets getting married none at all is that because you're from a, an era which got married once and once was only uh, I don't think that at all. I think if, if you're happy, you've got to work on things. Mm. But a lot of people don't bother to work on it these days, do they? So you think that nowadays the slightest problem, that's it, they split up, they don't give their marriage a chance like people uh, used to. That's right, that's right, yeah. yeah. And when you've got children, you've got, you've got to really work hard, especially if you're going to have children or go for children. You've got to really work hard at it. If you don't, well, you've got problems. So the words there of Glenn this morning, happily married man. Joining me live in our radio car here in Aylesbury is Jane McPhee Simpson. Uh, Jane, welcome to the programme. You're a marriage counsellor and relationship expert here in Buckinghamshire. So are you noticing more and more people coming to you saying that I need help with my marriage? Yes, there's a steady stream of people to my door, thankfully. And um, the relationships can break down for various reasons. And more and more people are seeking help now, which is the good thing about it. You say they're seeking help. Is the main reason cheating? No, the main reason isn't cheating. The main reason is a lack of communication. Obviously, the affairs do happen, and that's a big trauma for a relationship. So trying to recover from that is quite hard. But communication, and lack of it rather, is the worst thing. And again, every single person is going to be different. I know that. Well, we heard from Glenn there, 34 years of marriage. How often are people coming to you for help? Is it after a year or as soon as that, maybe? It's even sooner. I had a couple quite recently who were just engaged and they hadn't got to being married yet. And they came for some just a couple of sessions to sort some things. And people are coming in general, they're coming earlier and they're coming at a younger age than they did in the past, which is a good thing. Now, some people might find this report shocking. Half of the 4,000 people questioned said they regretted getting married. But to do the BBC thing here and to bring some balance into this, um, this report was conducted by a company which promotes affairs. So let's get that absolutely straight right now. Yes, and uh, I noticed that too. Um, and if you ask people who are signing onto a website because they're looking for a bit of extra nookie, then you're going to get that sort of result. Um, it's not you can't extrapolate that into the general population. There's the the big um, headline statistics of millions of people. Um, you can't extrapolate the data from a sample of four thousand. Don't sit on the fence here, Jane. Should these websites promoting affairs be banned? Yes or no? I don't think they should be banned. It's something for everyone. I think it's very, very distasteful. However, what most people do know is that the regular dating websites, are, which don't openly promote the fact that it's for married people, is full of married people pretending they're single. Mm. So, you know, it, it's, people, will, people will play and the internet provides a fantastic medium for finding other people who want to play. Absolutely fascinating. And just lastly, I think uh, recent figures suggest that one in three marriages break down within a year, which is not great, of course. If we have got people listening right now and they're going through a tough time, just lastly, what would your advice be to them? For heaven's sake, come and talk to somebody. Find a counsellor, go to Relate or come and see somebody privately. Talk it through and get some help. Don't, don't give up. Don't give up on it straight away without trying something appreciate your time thank you very much indeed there you go jane mcphee simpson uh, joining us live here from our radio car in aylesbury uh, justin you're not married are you no not is, yet it, no. It, is it something that appeals to you do you, do you think that maybe well, one day here could be a phone in for you ian i was only talking about this yesterday i had so many questions i went to a function yeah. and they said come on wh- when are you going to get married i've been engaged now hey. for five years whoa no <laughs> exactly uh, no five years <laughs>
<laughs> Can you beat that this morning? Justin, that's... For goodness sakes. Oh, man, that's wrong in so many levels. How long have you been with your, your partner? Eight years. Okay. Five-year engagement. Have you mm. set a date? Are you going no. to set a date? Well, well, hopefully we are, but of course, <clears> nowadays, it's it costs an absolute fortune. Oh, it man. takes over your life. You know the BBC in. They keep you very, very busy. Yeah. So it, it's a case of time, really. But of course, I want to get married. I want to get married as quickly as possible. Well, I want to make sure it's right and it's about us. How many weddings have you what? been to where the day is not about the couple? Well, but get yeah, a minute. You've had a five-year engagement and you're mm. still not sure if it's right. All good things come to those who wait, my friend. <laughs> Justin, thank you very much. That's a fascinating report. And that's the phone. Have you been engaged longer than five years? That seems incredible. Five years. 08459 455 555. I'm shocked by that. I didn't know Justin was engaged, and that's fantastic. Five years. Surely there's a window, isn't there, when you get engaged? And you've got, I would say, you know, you've got like 18 months to two and a half years to get married. And then once you go beyond that, the chance of the marriage actually taking place, I would have thought, are pretty slim, aren't they? Not to do any disrespect to Justin and his partner, I'm sure he's absolutely wonderful. 08459 455 555. Been engaged longer than five years? Fantastic. I think Justin is, is, uh, is, is a breath of fresh air. I think he's, he's superb. Now, hundreds of the most serious sex offenders in England and Wales will have to take lie detector tests from next year as part of a programme to monitor them after they leave jail. The government is extending a pilot scheme carried out in the Midlands. The project showed that sex offenders under supervision disclosed more about their activities and behaviour if they had polygraph tests than those who didn't. And here in Hertfordshire, police have begun using lie detectors to help them dis- to decide which suspects to investigate. Don Grubin is a professor of forensic psychiatry at Newcastle University. Good morning, Don. Morning. Now, I understand you've been overseeing this testing. How have Hertfordshire Police been using lie detectors? Well, the Hertfordshire Police is a bit different than what you were talking about with the sex offenders. Okay. Uh, But the Hertfordshire Police involved um, men who were arrested for downloading indecent images from the internet. Right. And it helped them decide whether which of these men were actually higher risk of um, uh, to, to children as opposed to just downloading images. So, what what kind of questions were they being asked? Well, that you know, obviously, mm. we're bearing in mind we have sensitive ears listening at this time of the morning. Were they being asked if they had acted out, or if they what what, what kind of area were they being asked? Well, in the internet people, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, well, they were being asked about whether they uh, had sexually assaulted a child in the past, but also whether they'd been attempting to meet children, whether they'd been distributing images over the internet, and those sorts of things. Are lie detectors that reliable, though? Because there is always a a chance that they could be wrong. Absolutely. They're reliable enough. Right. Um, The evidence suggests that they're 80 to 90 percent accurate, which means that you don't simply go on the basis of a a polygraph result. You put into the context of everything else you know about about an individual. Um, 80 to 90 percent is much, much better, though, than we Mm. can do on our our own. But the other thing about polygraph, it's not just about passing or failing. Mm. It also encourages individuals to disclose information. Really? And that's the other real key aspect of it. So because they're, they're wired up, they kind of think, well, I should maybe just say what's going on anyway yeah i mean if they want to pass the test which is the aim they need to be truthful and and what the test is looking at is whether they're being truthful on that day so it's not actually looking at what you've done in the past it's whether you're telling the truth now well the thing i i have very little experience with um polygraph tests don um but the only experience i really have is from watching the jeremy kyle show and jeremy is always saying that it it, is implying that it's possible to cheat 
sometimes. Is that true? Well, it is. It's absolutely true that you can beat a polygraph, um, but it takes practice. You can't simply go onto the right. internet, read up on it, and, and expect to pass. You need to sit down with a polygraph examiner and a polygraph and practice a little bit, and most people don't have that opportunity. And uh, do you think that more forces are going to start considering using this technology? I think so. Uh, again, what we did in Hertfordshire was to evaluate what we were doing. They were very skeptical at first, uh, but as it went on, they became more and more convinced that it was helpful and, and as, again, part of an overall strategy that it was of some benefit. And I think other forces will, will, will follow them. Don, thank you very much. Fascinating. I, I do find the whole world of, of polygraph and lie detector tests with the police just, just incredibly interesting. That's Don Grubin, who's Professor of Forensic Psychiatry at Newcastle University. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three counties radio these are your headlines this morning at 7:45 on friday july the 20th B- uh, bbc three counties radio a hertfordshire health trust say they take health and safety issues very seriously after being ordered to pay almost half a million pounds after a care home worker was stabbed to death the hertfordshire partnership nhs trust was found guilty of breaching health and safety regulations after stephen flat was placed at abacus house in dunstable and went on to kill kathleen bainbridge in 2007 Hundreds of dairy farmers blockaded processing plants into the early hours of the morning in a protest against the price they're paid for milk. Farmers are angry about a cut of two pence a litre they receive from the major milk processors, saying they are paid less for their milk than the cost to produce it. In sport... England's cricketers resume on 267 for three this morning on day two of the first test against South Africa at the Oval. Alistair Cook is 114 not out. And your weather for beds, hearts and bucks. Rather cloudy with a few bright intervals but also scattered showers, perhaps heavy. Maximum temperature around 18 degrees Celsius. Showers tomorrow but warm and sunny on Sunday. Coming up after 8pm. We'll hear from the husband of Kathleen Bainbridge, who was stabbed to death at Abacus House, Dunstable, in 2007 by bi- bipolar patient Stephen Flat. Roberto Peroni. I'll tell you what I do at the moment, because I've got... I've, well, I've changed my car recently. When I get into my car, I just sit there, I think... Oh, it smells good. I just touch the badge and see what I I love you. Roberto Peroni. Weekdays yeah. from three on BBC Three Counties Radio. I'll tell you now, Roberto, that's weird. When was the last time you threw away a piece of furniture? And did you think about giving it away? i tell you why I'm talking about this. Because I uh, um, love my new thing. I've been doing it for about a year. Is instead of chucking all bits of furniture away, I, I, I can't bother to sell them online, is I leave them um, at the end of the path in my front garden. And it always goes. Last week I left a coal scuttle. It's quite a nice coal scuttle. Uh, at the end of the path. It went... It's wonderful. And I've never seen who takes this stuff. I've left bookcases. I've left um, all kinds of stuff. And I've never seen who takes it. But someone does. And it's great. And it seems there's a growing trend for recycling all sorts of stuff from your home. Uh, Sarah Carter is a moderator and member of the Hertfordshire Freegal Group. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Sarah, what's Freegal? Freegal is free living, uh, free giving locally um, and for the environment. So basically it's recycling um, amongst members of the group. How, how long has this been going? Oh, many, many years. Um, we split from um, FreeCycle, which a lot of people know, yeah. uh, many years ago, um, because it, obviously it's more environmentally friendly to do it locally. Um, 
because I, that's interesting. I didn't realise there were there were splits within the uh, the, the community because I've got rid of stuff on Free Cycle, and it's that's in in local areas, isn't it? Or is your is Freegal? Free no, Freegal is is the local one. Right. Free Cycle okay. is the American um, company. Okay, and how has your how has Freegal changed in in the past few years? Um. I think people hold on to stuff for a lot longer before they give it away because of the recession. Mm. Um, we used to be much more of a throwaway society. And, the, and even now, you know, we sort of look at stuff and think, well, we don't need it anymore. We've got something new, but it's still good enough for other people. What kind of stuff are people getting rid of? Oh, everything. Everything. From a brandy glass, and, and that's I... true. I've given brandy glasses away before. Really? Yeah, up to beds, TVs, um, you know, anything. Sometimes <laughs> even old old caravans. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's the thing is, I love all this, because I love my favourite thing. I've not done it for a long time, because there aren't that many now, but my favourite way to spend a Sunday is trawling through a car boot sale, because I love other people's junk i love yeah. it i love yeah. it um but this is because i gave away some stuff not with your site with free cycle uh-huh. and I, I listed in two separate listings and don't ask why but i had um a commode to get rid of <laughs> i know and i had a, a, a color portable tv that was about 10 years old and i thought i can't can't be bothered to go to the dump i'll put them on free uh, free cycle someone will come and get them yeah and a woman wanted both of them <laughs> a yeah. woman got in touch with and the amazing thing is I, i'm guessing it's the same on freegal you put something up you get emails within minutes because people yeah. monitor those sites, don't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah, people. You can have it set so that any, you can have if you're searching for something particular. Um, as soon as um, that's posted, it will pop up in your um, inbox. Um, and, and yeah, like you say, I mean, I gave away an old Xbox um, 360, and within minutes, yeah. we had about 30 emails. It's incredible. It's mad. And this woman came. Bless her, this woman. She was quite old. She came on the bus. Uh, about a half hour journey on the bus for the, the TV and the commode, and she was trying to take both of them. I said, look, look, oh. love, there's no way you're going to take both of those. Why don't you take... I'll, I'll keep them for you. Why don't you take one and come back and you can get the other tomorrow? Oh. And she did, and it was just, you know, she was so happy with her commode and her, uh, <laughs> her TV. And that's so environmentally friendly, yeah. isn't it? Using the exactly. bus. Well, exactly. It's, it's ticking every box. What was the last thing you got off, uh, off of Freegal, Sarah? What was the last thing I got off Freegal? Yeah. Um, oh, now you're asking. I can't even remember. Or the last thing you got rid of? The last thing I got rid of was the Xbox 360 that I love was broken. It. Yeah. it was broken? It was broken. Somebody took it to um, his son's doing an engineering course. Yeah. Um, he's going to fix it up and then he's going to give it to a charity. Fantastic. Very quickly, how do, can people get, get, find your site? What um, do they do? Well, if you go on Yahoo groups, um, look for iloveFreegal.org. You can find all your local groups. Superb. Um, for whichever area you're in. Sarah, keep on doing it. Thank you very much. That's Sarah Carter, moderator and member of the Hertfordshire Freegal group. And it is fun to go on there, uh, on these sites, and just trawl through what people are getting rid of. I love, I, I'm so nosy. Other people's junk, you know, is like gold to me. 08459 555 is the telephone number. We've had a few phone calls. Uh, we've got, uh, we're talking about marriage and how um, a lot of people regret being married. We've got Brenda in Boreham Wood. Good morning, Brenda. Good morning. Are you married? Yes, I've, um, a long time. Um, I got, um, I met my husband in April 1944. Yep. We got engaged a week later, but I didn't get the ring till Christmas. Okay. And we never married till 49. Uh, it wasn't unusual, but I was in hospital for uh, 18 months in the, in the middle of it. But um, not unusual, but mind, um, I'm not saying that 
one just held hands in the front room or canoodled hey, in the uh, hello. in the, in the back row or spent the day in the Epping Forest. <laughs> I'm not going into that. I'm not going We're, into Brenda, that. Brenda, we all want to know what happened in Epping Forest. I'm not saying. I'm not <laughs> saying. <laughs> I love it. Fantastic. But you know someone who was engaged for even longer than that, yes, do you? Yes. Um, my husband's stepmother yes. was engaged for 14 years what? to her best friend's brother. Right. Uh, and then he eventually married his boss's daughter. Oh, no. And then oh. um, when my husband's mother died, yeah. um, dad married again, I think she was 46, and they'd been married nine months today when she had a cesarean, and my husband had a, a half-brother. Oh, blimey. So, um... Incredible. The 14 years, because I don't know if you heard our um, reporter, I use that word very loosely, Justin Dealey, has been engaged for five years. Yeah, and I bet he hasn't just been holding hands in the front parlour. <laughs> I think he's been to Epping Forest. <laughs> I would suspect. Oh. Uh, what, what's your advice to, to Justin? What should he do? If he loves some, marry her. Of course. Marry her. And isn't the wedding day, apart from when my two kids were born, the wedding day is just the best day you can have, isn't it? What a lot of... And it's expensive. What a lot of fun. I don't know. I can't quite remember that. <laughs> I got married in green. I got married in green. What? Yes. That, that's, again, that's the forest, isn't it? Yes, yes. yes. I got married in a lovely shade of green. But you in don't remember... the office in Brixton. But you don't remember the wedding day itself? Oh, yes, but um, we didn't have big weddings in those days. Were you a little you know? bit tipsy, Brenda? And um, my mum had to yes. save up for a long time for the wedding cake because it was just not long after the war. Bless you, Brenda. Thank you. Brenda in Boreham Wood. Wonderful story. I love doing this. Justin, if you're listening, come on. Got any advice for Justin Dealey, our reporter? Been engaged for five years. I don't want to make this personal, but it's getting personal. Talking about racism in football, and we've got more on that um, coming up later on in the show. But we've got Stephen Dunstable on the line has called in on that. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Steve, what's your take on this? We heard about how young Asian players are finding it difficult to get into um, some of the bigger clubs. What, what's your take on this? Well, I, I don't know about that, but I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fed up with these people be, be, uh, being, what's the word, always playing the victim game. You know what I mean? If someone says something, you say it and let it go over your head. It's a game of football. It's passionate. People say things. We say things in a day-to-day thing. We don't generally mean it. It's just the heat of the moment. Who do, who do, sorry, I'm confused. Who do you mean by these people? Well, what? Foreigners. They always play the victim all the time, and I'm fed up with it. I mean, they've got more rights than me and you. You know, as soon as you say something to them, no. you know, it's racism. I mean, they say things to us, what, but we what? don't go, like, we don't use the race card, and that's the thing I'm fed up with. They what? keep using the race card. Steve, what foreigners are you talking about? I'm confused. Well, people, well, foreigners that ain't born in Britain, I suppose, or anyone. Because the, the, the people Different in that culture. report, the people in that report are, are, are British Asians, so they're not foreigners, they're well, British. Well, I, I, don't, I, I don't agree with that, because if you, Sorry? if a cat would, I don't agree with that, it doesn't matter where you're born. If, mm. I was, if, if a cat was born in a stable, would it be a horse? That's, that, on, Steve, I'll be honest, Steve, I'll be honest, that's the most ridiculous statement no, I've not. ever heard. If, of course no, it is, it's ridiculous, of course it is, it's well, ridiculous. Why are, they why are they British? It's the way they're brought up by their parents. Steve, but, uh, Steve uh, do you know what? I, I, I'm supposed to give everyone a fair chance. I don't want to talk to you this morning. Bye-bye. I, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not in the mood to listen to that nonsense. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Sorry about that, dear listener, if you're offended by the ridiculousness of that call. They're, they're British Asians. They're British. Right? You don't even need me to, to tell you why that was a ridiculous call, do you? Because you, you are sensible enough to have listened to that and to have realised. And I'm supposed to give everybody a fair crack of the whip, but sometimes I just... What's, what's the point? 
What's the point? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give me a call. Should we do the front page of the papers? I didn't finish them all last time, so let's let's start from the top and we'll rattle through all of them, shall we, before we get to the travel and the news. The Times. Down from the mountains, it's Paris, here I come. It's Mod Bradley Wiggins. Um, who's, he's got to win the Tour de France, isn't he? He's bound to. IMF house price alert. Correction needed in overvalued property market, says the report. The Daily Telegraph, another picture of, uh, of Bradley Wiggins with his sideburns on proud display. And border guards to strike on eve of the Olympics. Um, and criminals could avoid court in legal shake-up. Criminals arrested for offences such as minor assaults, theft and fraud could escape prosecution. I don't... A lot of these stories, if you read them, there's lots of coulds and maybes and possiblies. Uh, and you go look into them, actually, they probably won't happen. The Guardian, this is a big story that's all over the front pages. Policeman cleared over G20 death, but questions remain. Uh, Scotland Yard has apologised for re-employing a riot policeman, um, Simon Harwood, with a chequered disciplinary record after he was acquitted yesterday of killing Ian Tomlinson at the G20 protests in London in 2009. Uh, the Independent of the same story, uh, not guilty, but no innocent. Hmm. PC cleared of death of G20 protester have been subject of repeated complaints about violent behaviour. The Daily Express, 95 degrees Fahrenheit. Forget the rain, Britain's summer starts this weekend. The Daily Mail, freed thug in police uniform. What jury weren't told about the PC they cleared of G20 killing? Uh, and there's a picture of a hot girl on the front page who apparently snogged Prince Harry. Daily Mirror, call this justice the, justice, the same story. And the son, F1 Bernie's girl, dumps lover over sex tape. Hey, here's a thing. Don't film yourselves having sex. And then there'll be none of these arguments. It's the simple, simple solution. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. In the next hour, Jonathan Vernon-Smith will pop in. We're also going to speak to Tom Bainbridge, the husband of uh, murdered Kathleen Bainbridge. All of that and more after the latest news and sport with Simon Oxley. Good morning, dear listener. Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Breakfast. I uh, got a couple of texts. We've been talking um, about beetroot. I know, I know. If you like beetroot, there's something wrong with you. Esther doesn't agree. You asked if there was anyone with common sense who liked beetroot. I do. I love it. Did you know if you eat beetroot before a comedy, it will enhance your sense of humour? What? Are you all just trying to wind me up this morning? Because you're doing an excellent job of it. Lots and lots coming up in this uh, last hour of the show. Jonathan's going to pop in at some point and have a chat about what's happening with his show. More on this racism in football. And you can call in any time you want. 08459 455 555. Do enjoy talking to you. Most of you. You can text as well. 81333. Start your text. 3CR. Or you can email 3CR at bbc.co.uk. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, more on this uh, tragic story we've been hearing about all morning. An NHS trust and a care home have been sentenced over health and safety breaches, which led to the death of a care worker in Dunstable. Bipolar uh, patient Stephen Flatt stabbed Kathleen Bainbridge to death at Abacus House in 2007. Hertfordshire Partnership NHS Trust has been ordered to pay nearly half a million pounds in fines and costs. The owner of the care home has been ordered to pay nearly 400,000 in uh, fines and costs. We've got Kathleen hu- Kathleen's husband, Tom Bainbridge. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. Also got Kathleen's daughter, Danielle. Good morning, Danielle. Good morning. Tom, we're going to start with you. 
how do you feel this morning, five years after the attack, a sentence has finally been given? Um, who are you talking to? Uh, to, to, to you, Tom, sorry. Yeah, um, after five years, it's a hell of a relief that it's finally over. Um, it's a strange feeling that we've now got to move on with our life um, in the next month, I've got to go to court again and go through the whole scenario one more time. Um, it's a relief, a little bit more than what we were thinking yesterday when we come out, it was just a shock and everything else, but thinking about it now, that it is finally over. Um, we've been through hell, the family's been through hell. It got signed. Um, if they'd have done their jobs properly, this wouldn't, we wouldn't have been in this situation. Um, the amount of money that's been talked about and banded about, that is going to come out of the medical fund. Someone else is going to suffer. Mm. Because if they'd have just pleaded guilty, um, they wouldn't have got hit as hard. Uh, even the judge said it was disgusting. Um, yeah, uh, in our own sense, it's getting on with their lives now. Um, it's finally come to an end. And now it has come to an end. Do you think that you can now kind of move on. I would imagine that the past five years, you've not really been able to move on because it's 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 been present throughout your lives. It has. Um, I mean, I woke up yesterday morning. We knew we were going to court yesterday morning, and I put the television on, put the news on, and bang, Kathleen mm. Bank come right across the screen. I thought, mm. wow, here we go again. <laughs> um, we haven't even got into court yet. Uh, I, we're a fairly strong family. Mm. Um, I, I personally think we'll be able to move on. It's just the first initial stage of it to get get our minds around the fact that it's finally over. We can actually go up to the graveyard and say, Cap, we've got them. Um, that's it. Uh, they've been done for what they did to you. Um, and are you, plan- are you planning on doing that? Are you planning on going and, and, and speaking to Kathleen and, and, and a, a, a grave? Yeah, and telling um, her that? I'm, I'm back on shift. I should have been back on shift today, but... Um, I go back to work tomorrow, so most probably I will go up Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, and finally, be able, you know, a lot of people say they don't talk, but you, everybody talks at a gravesite. They talk to they the do. people that they've missed. Of course they do. Um, and now I can actually say that we finally got them. And hopefully it won't be in vain that they will learn lessons from the mistakes they made. Do you, do you think they've learned lessons, Tom? I do know that some of the um, things have been put into place where that they will carry out their assessments and carry out follow assessments that this is what they didn't do. Mm. Um, if the trust had done their full assessments, they would have realised that Stephen Fatt should not have been in that home. And they could have backed off and said, no, I'm sorry, but you can't have Stephen. He will have to go into a, a, a different home, somewhere like um, where he was in St Albans. And Kathleen expressed concerns to you, didn't she, about Stephen Flat? Yes, she was um, very frightened of him. Um, Kathy would never talk to us about her work. Um, it was just a case that she would come home and you knew what mood she was in, so you just left it quietly and she would get over it herself. Um, but with this gentleman, Stephen, she was very, very frightened of him. Um, in fact, all the staff were. They had meetings, um, and it was, it was raised that they were worried. Um, but they never... Somebody never took any notice of it. They said they didn't make meetings. It's convenient that these bits of paper went missing. Yeah, right. Mm. Um, 
Yes, she was very frightened of him. Um, well, da- let me speak uh, to Danielle. Danielle Naylor is yes. uh, is Kathleen's daughter. Danielle, how do you feel about the sentencing? Um, I'm I'm pleased with sentencing, but as my dad just said, we we shouldn't have been there yesterday. Mm. Someone should have put their hands up five years ago and said, "Yes, we did something wrong. We we didn't look after our staff properly. We didn't do our risk assessments properly." Um, we had a gentleman there from the NHS Trust, the chief executive of whatever he was, I don't know. He came up yesterday and expressed his condolences and shook our hands. And I, I couldn't accept his apology. Mm. Because if he'd have done his job, if his people had done their job properly and Mr Men had done their job properly, you wouldn't be shaking my hand saying, sorry, my mum's dead, because she'd still be here. And that must just be, I can't even begin to imagine what that, what's that like, knowing that... Uh, incompetence and mistakes have led to the the passing of your mum. How yeah. has it been for you the last five years, Danielle? Um, for me, horrendous. Yeah. Because my mum did an awful lot for my dad. When my mum passed away, I basically stepped into her shoes. I helped my dad out with an awful lot of stuff, which I don't begrudge <coughs> doing. I would, I would always be there to support my dad and my sister. Of course, yeah. But, you know, it's been hard on me. Yeah. I've got three young children as well. They've struggled... The last two months, going backwards and forwards to court, I've had to rely on friends to pick them up from school because I've not been there to do it. And especially for my youngest one, who's now five years old. When my mum died, she was nine weeks. Mm -hmm. She doesn't understand what this is all about. She hasn't got a clue. She doesn't even remember my Mm mum. There are photographs of my mum with her, and she knows that's her nan, but she she will never, ever have a remembrance of her because she was too little. And how are your other kids, Danielle? Are they are they okay? Are they kind of aware of what's going on? My eldest my eldest daughter is. Right. She, she wasn't until the papers printed something a few months ago, oh. unfortunately, and she read it. So, oh dear. but no, they're 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 okay. They 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 know why I was in court. They they know that we explained to them that Nanny had an accident at work, and that's mm. what happened. You know. Danielle, do you, do you feel that justice has been done? Do you feel that you can you can move on now, that you can kind of put a full stop to this and, uh, you know, that's being slightly flippant, but that you can actually move on with your lives now? Um, this morning, I've, I don't know how I feel. Right, yeah. It's still kind of a bit weird and I'm still quite empty and I just, I, it's all come very quickly, although for saying it's quickly, it's been five years. Mm. But obviously yesterday we went to court at one minute they were saying we went in yesterday thinking it was going to be over then they turned around and said they may do sentencing another day and it was like seriously oh. we are supposed to be here today to put an end to this and i mean in the end the judge thank you he stayed until i think it was half past five six o'clock time when we got out of court finally yesterday mm. so you know i'm grateful for the fact that they did stay and finish it yesterday but this morning, it's just I just kind of feel empty. I mean, of I'd already spoken to my dad earlier on, and I just said, you know, just I don't know what I'm going to do at the moment. Tom, it sounds like you got a great kid there with Danielle. Yes, they both are. Yeah. Um, Danielle's been his rock all the way through it. Um, she's had to deal with um, my brother's death as well, so she was executor of the will. So she had everything sort of thrown on her. Um, she has coped very well. Um, I know she's been ill, but she she has coped brilliantly 
Well, listen, I, I, it's just the most tragic story. I, I hope that you can find some peace. Danielle, go and play with the kids, because that is, you know, that's a gift, isn't it? And Tom, I'm, actually, I'm actually quite lucky this morning. It's the first day of school holidays, and fantastic. they're all still upstairs watching telly. They haven't even come down yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, make a fuss of them, because kids are just, you know, they're completely life-affirming. Tom, enjoy your grandkids. Uh, go and, you know, speak to Kathleen and tell her what's happened, and I really yeah. hope you can all move on from this. Thank, Th- you. thank you so much. Take care. Well, isn't that just, uh... I had tears in my eyes there. It's the saddest story. It's uh, Tom Bainbridge, who was Kathleen Bainbridge's husband, and Danielle Naylor, who was her daughter, and uh, hopefully they can move on and get some peace. Wow, you get some stories here, don't you? We would like again to offer our condolences to um, the Bainbridge family um, uh, uh, and for their loss. Um, we take a health... I should just say while I'm playing this, sorry, I was meant to play something else, but this is the statement from the Hertfordshire Partnership NHS Foundation Trust. This is Tom Cahill uh, giving his statement. The safety and the safety of our staff and the safety of patients very seriously. And we will be looking very carefully at the findings of today to make sure that we review our processes so that these incidents don't happen again in the future. Sorry for playing that slightly out of sync. Right, let's do this. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. These are your headlines this morning, 8.16 on BBC Three counties radio a hertfordshire health trust is pledging to learn from the death of a care home worker to make sure it doesn't happen again the hertfordshire partnership nhs trust has been ordered to pay nearly half a million pounds after being found guilty of breaching health and safety regulations after stephen flat was placed at abacus house in dunstable and went on to kill kathleen bainbridge in 2007 Meanwhile, the government official responsible for security at the London Olympics has told the BBC that the safety of the Games has not been compromised by the failure of the private contractor G4S to supply enough guards. Ministers have had to call on the army to cover the shortfall. In sports, Buckinghamshire's Luke Donald is six shots off the lead after the opening round of the Open Golf Championship at Royal Lytham. He carded a level past 70 with Australian Adam Scott heading the field after a 64. Got a full sports bulletin in 15 minutes. Weather is coming up and also on the show before nine o'clock are asian footballers being given a fair chance of making it in the professional game coming up shortly we'll talk to the chairman of the bedfordshire football association to get his view on the issue this is ian lee uh, on bbc three counties breakfast i'm joined by jonathan vernon smith Hello. Can I say you did something wrong yesterday on your consumer show? Oh, gosh. What did I do? Well, Thanks the f- for confronting me well, on air. Well, you come into the studio and said, oh, you, you do look like Marlon Dingle. So, <laughs> <laughs> the first thing he says. <laughs> well, you do a little bit. I, I don't watch him at all. I don't like the soaps. But last night I watched it and I thought, what's Ian Lee doing on this soap um, opera? And then I realised it must be this, this chap they call Marlon Dingle. I get, sh- I get it in the street. All right, Marlon. People, and people genuinely think I'm Marlon Dingle. But anyway, so this is why I'm criticising you. Yesterday, the fellow in, in the consumer hour from 11 with mm. the, uh, the hearing aids and the hospital offered him £1,000. Oh, yes, the hearing aids are worth £2,000. Mm. And you said take the £1,000. That's well, crazy. There, there, are, there are several different arguments, aren't there? I mean, the, the money ultimately that the hospital will have to pay, although we can all understand why that would be the case, yeah. the £1,000 the will have to come from the hospital's budget. Yeah. So ultimately then, that is £1,000 that can't be spent on providing care for other people. Do one less gastric band. So there are some people who would suggest perhaps, and I have to be honest, I did put this out to the listeners, you did, you did. And, and lots of people were saying, yeah, I would accept the £1,000. Yeah. His father has sadly passed away now. He doesn't now need the hearing aids. They would have been second-hand at the point that they were lost anyway, Yes. so they wouldn't have been worth the full £2,000. So £1,000 would be fair. We're going back to the hospital to see whether they would be prepared to give the £1,000 and perhaps a donation to charity as well. That's something. It was a great phoning yesterday. Thanks. People uh, were uh, really uh, taken by that one. They 
They certainly were. I was shouting at the radio saying, no, you're wrong! You're all wrong! Yeah, all of my listeners were wrong. <laughs> all of them. All of them. What's... <laughs> Will they be wrong today? What's on the show today, Jonathan? On the big phone in today, do you back the immigration workers' strike? Unions are defending the decision by thousands of home office workers to go on strike the day before the Olympic Games begin next week. Immigration workers at Heathrow Airport are among members of the PCS union um, who are planning to walk out for 24 hours next Thursday over job cuts and pay. The Home Secretary, Theresa May, has called it shameful. Well, they have the right to go on strike, but is organising it for the day before the Olympic, uh, uh, Olympics a step too far? That's the question I want to ask you from nine. Me? Well, you and others. You, oh. You'll be shouting at my listeners. They'll get it wrong, won't they? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Like sometimes they're, they're very astute and, and they get things right, but yesterday they, they, they were definitely wrong. What do you think the listeners will say from nine this morning? Oh, um, no, the listeners will say they are not right to go on strike before the Olympics. Really? And will they be wrong? Yes. <laughs> Can I ask you, do you, do, do you like beetroots? I hate beetroots. Yeah, good the work you. of the devil, like fish. That's Jonathan Vernon-Smith, who will be on at nine o'clock. <laughs> it, it really is worth a listen. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Ta-ta. Um, it's always a cracking show, and I was literally in my car yesterday shouting at the radio. That's how frustrated I was getting with the whole nonsense. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. I've really enjoyed today's show. There's been so much in it. I hope you're enjoying it as well. Here's uh, more on the story we talked about earlier on. Are Asian footballers being given a fair chance of making it in the professional game? We've been hearing this morning from two players, Hussein Shah and Joe Luca, who played for youth side Luton United. Speaking on the BBC's documentary Is Football Racist, they claim they've been written off because of their race. Straight after the whole trial, my dad um, was having a chat with one of the guys who's obviously scouting. There's a black guy who spoke to my dad and he said to him, I've been specifically employed to not take on Asian people. As soon as I heard that and you know, my heart started beating fast. Like, that's the doors closed for me now. Because everyone says, oh, you're not going to make because you're brown. Everyone says it to you. Even like, I've been asked, oh, do you, are you sure you even play? Are you sure you're not wasting the time? Yes, yeah, brilliant players. They're just not given a chance. They're not given a chance. Why, well, how come they're given a chance in cricket? But when it's football, there's a totally different aspect. We've got two guests on the line now. We've got Chairman of Bedfordshire Football Association, Richard Robinson. Good morning, Richard. Uh, good morning. We've also got Chris Dolby, uh, who is the first ever Asian footballer to play in the Football League. He played for Rotherham United and Bradford City between 93 and 97. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Richard, let's just start with you first. Is there a problem with young Asian footballers being given a chance in the game? Well, in the Bedfordshire area, I can only speak on the behalf of the Bedfordshire area, um, we try to encourage all to play football. It, football, what we say in Bedfordshire, is for all people to play football. And what we'd like to see is the integration of everybody, whatever race they are, playing football under the umbrella of Bedfordshire Football Association. So, I mean... I go around the parks quite often, and especially in the youth, where you see that coming to the youth players, there's quite a lot of mixed uh, races playing all together. And it doesn't, I honestly can't ever see a problem in the later years that I've, since I've been chairman of the county, that's 11 mm. years. What about the case of Hussein Shah that we've been talking about, who turned up for a trial with a professional club to be told they don't take on Asian players? Well, if that's the case, I think that's absolutely disgusting. Um, I've never heard of that. I can only speak of what I know, and I've never heard of that ever a actually happening. Now, I can't say that person's telling fibs, but um, I've never heard of any um, such case in my, in my experience. 
how many Asian footballers have you got representing Bedfordshire at county level? Well, we've had, we, ha- we have had a few come through um, playing. Obviously, at, at this present time, we're in the middle of the close season where we've, we're not playing county games. But we have had all races playing for the county. But you haven't got any at the moment? Well, like I'm saying, we just started the trial, right. so okay. I can't actually say that at the present time. I don't, I, I'm not into football, so I don't quite know how, <laughs> how it yeah, works. Yeah, we don't you, start you, about, okay. You don't start at about September playing those games. Chris, you played for Rotherham United and Bradford City in the 90s. Did you ever feel discriminated against in your career? Um, I'm, I can count on, on one hand that I felt discriminated right. um, through the game, and, and that's been in the professional game and, and sort of, you know, being an apprentice. So the development from being a young player right through to, to, to earning my first wage, if you like, uh, I can count on one hand that that, that happened. And, you know, I was... Uh, my upbringing is slightly different as, as I was adopted at uh, six months old by British parents. But out on the field, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm seen as um, an Asian player and, and, and that never really stopped me. Because I've been thinking about this, and I, I, I don't particularly follow football, so I, I may, there may be glaring gaps in my knowledge here, but I've not seen many... I can't think of any Asian footballers that I've seen, apart from a few Chinese lads and I think one Japanese player. And that's it... it, it why do you think that is, Chris? Is it lack of interest from young Asians? Is it racism? What do you think it is? Well, I, I certainly think integration, as been as has been mentioned before, is is a key. And uh, I work closely with the PFA and the and the Football Association. I'm employed in the full time game with Barnsley Football Club in the Championship. So we do a lot of work out and about in the community, delivering football programmes. Uh, I know I know uh, John Hudson at the PFA and Dennis Lehman at the PFA. Uh, that everyone, you know, is 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 stamping down on on racism. It's something that we want to, you know, we want to want to get out of the game. But for me, I think clubs are being proactive uh, in trying to support the Asian community. I know that football clubs now see it as a as a real opportunity. If you can, you know, get into the Asian community, it's a big population out there. If we can get in there and and, and access some real talent, then it can only benefit the game as a whole. Uh, Chris, I don't know. Are, are there specific Asian teams? Does that are happen they, at all? Or, or, could you repeat that question? Yeah, sorry. are there spe- like specific Asian football teams? I, I don't know if that's if that's the case or not. Where, well, yeah, well, I think in in, in the past and, and certainly my time at Bradford City, you know, Bradford's a, a, got a big Asian population, mm. and you would you would walk around the, the field, uh, you know, you would see Asian football um, organised leagues uh, which which is great right. and it's getting them playing but I think the integration is key because yeah. you know to, to play at the highest level integration you know you've got to integrate from from all colours and creeds across the across across the world, so it's not about you know it's, you know formulating your own league and sticking with that. If you want to challenge yourself and be, you know against better players and better opposition, then you've got to be prepared to go out there and, and put yourself in front of you know different opposition. Uh, could more be done finally to help youngsters like Hussein Shah and Joe Luca? Could they, could they you know trials with professional clubs? What what more things could be done to help young guys like that who've obviously got the talent but just don't well, seem I, to be making can, any progress? I can only speak for, from my uh, experiences as a player and, and getting picked up as a young player mm. and also looking at my experiences now as a, as a full time employee at a football club. If we're going to spot talent, then we'll go and, and pick out the best leagues and the best teams within our area. Uh, if that's Sunday league team, if that's Saturday, Wednesday leagues, 
we will go and look at the best best teams in our areas and and, uh, and on the outskirts. And if those players are not in those teams, then it's very difficult you're to spot them. them. Yeah. You've got to integrate, you've got to push yourself and try and play at the highest possible level. And if that means stepping away from your close friend, which I had to do at times, then you do that. If that means that you need to get up the ladder and be seen by the better teams within your area. Chris and Dobby, the professional clubs. Chris Dobby, thank you very much. He was uh, the first ever Asian footballer to play in the Football League uh, in the 90s. Uh, and Richard Robinson, who is the chairman of the Bedfordshire Football Association. Thank you very much for that. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Simon. A few texts. 81333 CR. Um, Rod in Letchworth. Ian, I share your enthusiasm for cheese sandwiches. They are food of the gods. It's, it's a gift. But they do need livening up with and dare I say coleslaw. Coleslaw, yes. Oh, yes, definitely. I've got coleslaw in my sandwiches today. Cheese and coleslaw. Beetroot is an acquired taste. Yes, you're right. About my little boy not enjoying the bath. Perhaps it's because of your son's chicken pox. He doesn't like baths. Maybe bathing him makes his skin sore. He says it doesn't hurt him. Um, uh, the ma- that man about foreign footballers is totally correct. He's giving you his feelings, so why are you insulting to a listener who's wrong you? Now, apologise, David Luton. Cynthia in High Wycombe says, I'm fed up of them playing the victim card as well. They call racism when it's sweet them. I think she means suits. Uh, and Tim says, we can only ring in if we agree with you. Oh, contraire, Tim. Oh, contraire. I, I, I like a Barney on the radio. I like it. It's good fun. No, the reason that I cut him off was because um, I don't like this them. I don't like them. Them and us. Them. They. Them. It makes you feel very uncomfortable. I think it's slightly lazy language. And also his argument was nonsense. His argument was, if a cat is born in a barn, does it make it a horse? No. But if a cat's born in Britain, it makes it a British cat. And if a cat is born in Spain, it makes it a Spanish cat. So, you know. But, but oh, listen, you're more than welcome to phone up and, uh, and, and disagree with me. Of course you are. That's what makes it all so good. But I, just, I was just worried, and perhaps I was being a little bit oversensitive, but I was just worried that we were heading towards something that, that could be perceived by many as slightly offensive. And I think that's why I decided to end that, that short. It can be a very passionate argument, of course, but some of the language may be a little bit uncomfortable. And the language I'm talking about specifically is them and us. And he was talking about foreigners when I was talking about British people. That's why. Hope you understand. Thank you very much. Now, the final touches are being made to the River Festival in uh, Bedford, and uh, the BBC Three Counties are uh, covering this lot, so be listening over the weekend. Thousands of people are expected there this weekend. Some First Capital Connect trains won't be running on Sunday morning due to engineering works, but another local train group is well prepared. Stephen Slight is the Marston Vale Community Rail Partnership Officer. Stephen, that's a long title you've got there. It is indeed, yes. It's a mouthful. Morning. Good morning. How are you? You're right. Good, thank you. How busy are your trains likely to be between Bletchley and Bedford this weekend? Uh, We're expecting very busy trains this weekend uh, we did the river festival in 2010 and we had really uh well supported trains so looking forward to some busy trains again this weekend what have you done to cope with demand because obviously gonna, there's going to be an increase isn't there have you made any special dispensation for this uh yes we put uh, an application in for some extra carriages which we're hoping to have on the marston vale line to increase the number of seats available do people still travel by train for short distances? It's only 18 miles. Most yes, people go do. by car, yeah. won't they? No, and a lot of people will come by train uh, because the Bedford, as you probably know, River, River Festa weekend is notoriously traffic-bound and very difficult to find a place to park. So uh, a lot of people will be coming by train. We have a lot of support from people coming in from the villages to do their regular business, and when there's a big event like this, 
they tend to look to the train as well, which is great. Mm. I do. I do like tra- travelling by train. I, if if uh, I've got a long journey, uh, I, I kind of prefer the train. You get a bit of quiet. You can get great. your laptop out, do a bit of work, have a doze, anything like that. I Definitely. love it. Why did you get involved with the River Festival? Um, because it's the biggest ben- event in Bedford's calendar. Uh, in the two-year period and it's just such a fantastic community event such a great atmosphere and such a good opportunity for us to be there and talk to people about using the train and encourage those people who haven't used the train to think about using the train next time well, i wish you the best luck. i'm just going to throw something at you you may or may not have seen in the papers today there's another story about alcohol being banned on late night trains in scotland oh right what do you make of that um, I, I've heard of that from um, other train services. Uh, other community rail partnerships have had problems with um, slightly rowdy passengers or some of the late-night trains. Um, so I think it's probably something that's been put in place to protect some of the on-train staff. Why, if, unless you're, like, in a, you know, having a nice lunch on a train, and you use the word nice loosely, but unless you're having a lunch, why would you want to have a, you know, why would you want to get boozed up on a train? What's the point of that? I guess some people like to have a drink on the train, um, perhaps on the way home from work, or and then to leave, one drink leads to another, and then things perhaps slightly get out of hand. But I'm pleased to say that's not a problem on the Marston Vale line. Well done. 99% of our passengers are very well behaved, and uh, we look forward to welcoming this weekend. Stephen, thank you very much. Stephen Slight, uh, Marston Vale Community Rail Partnership Officer, uh, and lots of our programmes are being broadcast from the festival across the weekend, starting with Drive Time um, from 3pm, followed by BBC Introducing at 7pm. So if you can't make it down there... Have a listen to the radio, and we'll keep you informed. Uh, we were talking about marriage, and do you regret marriage? Apparently lots more people do. It's hard work, but you, you kind of got to work through those things, haven't you? Got to stick with it. Vic says, marriage? I don't regret getting married. I've been happily married for over 49 years. The wife told me to say this. Vic! Come on now, for goodness sakes. 49 years is an incredible amount of time to be with the same person there is an argument isn't there and i've heard this argument put that the 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 human being is not uh designed to be monogamous that that's it's not in our genetic makeup particularly men because men are programmed aren't they just to go off and you know make babies there we go that's 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 a polite way of putting it at uh uh, 8 40 in the morning that's the you know that's what what they're supposed to do they're supposed to go and sleep around because it's a genetic thing so monogamy is not the natural state. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. You've got about 20 minutes. You want to give me a quick call? Uh, now, you heard this uh, mentioned in the news earlier, and we t- talked about this briefly. And we talked about something else last week to, to do with this story. Hundreds of dairy farmers staged blockades at milk depots across England last night in a protest against the prices they get. Farmers are angry about a cut of two pence a litre they receive from the major milk processors, saying they are paid less for the milk than the cost to produce it. They were outside several sites, including Leeds, Ashby de la Zouche in Leicestershire and Bridgewater in Somerset. They say more protests will happen lately. John Whitby is a dairy farmer from Buckinghamshire who fully supports the uh, the, the protest. Good morning, John. Good morning to you. Did you go to the protest? No, they're a bit too far away from me, but I would certainly support them if they were closer to, and I'm sure there'll be other ones to, 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 to attend. Can I hear cows in the background? Well, yeah, I'm a dairy farmer. Keeping it real, John. Keeping it real, <laughs> authentic. Why? Why are these protests happening? What? Just, just tell us the story. What's going on? Well, I'm afraid the price of milk to uh, we dairy farmers have been cut twice. Not just the two p you mentioned, but another one point five p. That's a huge sum of money to a farmer like me, producing just over a million liters a year. That adds up to you know thirty five, forty thousand pounds. 
which is completely unsustainable when the price of milk we were receiving was very low in the first place. It was just about break-even prices, so, so I, now I, we're into I, I, John, negative just, prices. How does this work, then? So it's costing you money to make milk. You don't make profit on it. You lose money. That's right. So uh, I, what, what will happen very soon is a lot of farmers will give up dairy farming and we'll, we'll import even more milk. It just seems... I don't under... So how long can you survive... Like this, then, with this, the situation well, I as it is? It, I heard it said this morning uh, from other protesters that if we don't see a resolution of this by Christmas, then we'll see a billion litres of milk lost in this country. That's about uh, 10% of production. John, what, do you, what are these protests aiming for? What, what, what do, do, well, do dairy farmers want not, to change? We're not asking for, to be wonderfully you know, uh, rich farmers. All we want is to the, pro- the prices that have been cut to be returned to where they were before, uh, we, we want to see the discounting that's uh, going on across the supermarkets disappear. That every time you turn on, uh, read the newspaper, listen to the radio, there's an advert for discounted food. We're undervaluing the food that we produce. We're in danger of not having a, a, any British food left to sell. Um, we, so we want to stop this aggressive discounting. Um, I understand that things, these are austere times. People need to have good value. But we need to value what we eat, and that needs to be... And I think we do value what we eat because people are interested in British food and where their food comes from, local food, and we're just in danger of losing all that. Well, there has been a huge surge, hasn't there, in the last couple of years with various sort of TV campaigns and people like Jamie Oliver and stuff, you know, promoting British food. But people, I I, I think, and this isn't necessarily what I I want, but people want cheap food, don't they, more than caring where it comes from. Is that that a concern to you? I, I don't think... I think you're uh, you're underestimating. I don't okay. think people want cheap, cheap food. I think they they they're interested in where it comes from. Right. If I if I ho- hold an open day on my farm, a thousand people turn up. Or yeah. Are interested in how their food is produced. Mm. Uh, um, I think that, that there's a lot of interest out there as to you know they want uh, sustainable milk supplies. They want to produce to the highest animal welfare standards, and I stand up for. And measure myself against anybody is to make sure that my animals are looked after well and properly. John, uh, listen, get back to the cows. I can hear them in the background. I'm sure we'll speak about this again. Uh, that's John Whitby, who is a dairy farmer in Buckinghamshire, um, talking about the dairy farmer protests that were happening across the country last night. It seems incredible that they lose money making milk. Why would you be in a business like that? It just doesn't make any sense at all, does it? Thank you, John. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's 8.45. These are your headlines on Friday, July the 20th. BBC Three Counties Radio. A Hertfordshire Health Trust is pledging to learn from the death of a care home worker to make sure it doesn't happen again. The Hertfordshire Partnership NHS Trust has been ordered to pay nearly half a million pounds after being found guilty of breaching health and safety regulations. After Stephen Flat was placed at Abacus House in Dunstable and went on to kill Kathleen Bainbridge in 2007. Meanwhile, the government official responsible for security at the London Olympics has told the BBC that the safety of the Games has not been compromised by the failure of the private contractor, G4S, to supply enough guards. Ministers have had to call on the army to cover the shortfall. In sport, Buckinghamshire's Luke Donald is six shots off the lead after the opening round of the Open Golf Championship at Royal Lytham. He carded a level past 70 with Australian Adam Scott heading the field after a 64. The weather for beds, hearts and bucks, rather cloudy with a few bright intervals but also scattered showers, perhaps heavy. Maximum temperature around 18 degrees Celsius. 
showers tomorrow but warm and sunny on sunday coming up hundreds of children from hertfordshire have recorded uh, uh, an olympic children's anthem which has been sent around the world and the jvs show is back with the big phone in today after nine he's asking do you back the immigration worker strike jonathan vernon smith weekday mornings from nine on bbc three counties radio always worth a listen it, 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 i think it's a cracking show and i literally was in my car yesterday shouting at jonathan for giving what I thought was the wrong advice. Uh, and the thing about Jonathan's show, and about this show as well, if you disagree, you can phone up. I, I didn't think it appropriate that I phoned up to disagree with him. That may have seemed like I was trying to hog BBC Three Counties maybe just a little bit too much. So I shouted instead. I must look like a ripe plum in the car. But you, dear listener, if you disagree with him, and I'm sure you will, you can phone up and tell him. That's the joy of it. It's the same phone number as it is for me, 08459 455. Five double five. Now, hundreds of children from Hertfordshire have been recording an Olympic children's anthem, which has been sent around the world. It's called Gloria in Londinium, and this is what it sounds like. Fantastic. Kathleen Shanks is the music director of the Capital Arts Music Choir, based in Potter's Bar, and is the brains behind the music. Good morning, Kathleen. Good morning. How did this come about? Um, I was commissioned to write a song for my children's choir, the Capital Arts Children's Choir, to celebrate the 2012 Games. And um, I was particularly inspired by the idea that the Games were set in the East End of London. Mm. How many kids are in the choir? Uh, in the Capital Arts Children's Choir, we have 50. Fantastic. And, and what is the message behind the song? What are you trying to convey? Um, the Capital Arts Children's Choir sings out a theme to the whole world, children's choirs of the world, to tell their athletes to come to London. Lovely. And you, you got to record it at Abbey Road, the home of the Beatles. Yes, we did. What was, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of them perhaps aren't quite aware of the Beatles. I'm a very old man, so I'm excited by that. Must have been a huge day for them. Oh, it was. I mean, we had, apart from my own children's choir, we had 300 children <laughs> from uh, Well and Hatfield um, who came to sing the big chorus. And um, it was the largest number Abbey Road had ever seen. They weren't all singing at the same time, were they? Um, when it came to the big chorus, oh yeah. How did you manage th- that many people? Total control. Really? <laughs> Fear. Have you, <laughs> Kathleen, have you, have, have you got that steely look of death that says, uh, don't uh, you mess around, stop that now? I think all music directors need that steely look of death. Boys, stop, boys, stop that now. <laughs> did you do a lot of that? Or are they, are they all well actually, behaved? Actually, they were absolutely I fantastic. They, were. they really were. They loved it. And uh, their contribution was tremendous. And what do you hope the song's going to achieve? What, 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 what do you want the legacy of this song to be? Well, what's happened now is, um, as I said earlier, the children's choir sing out to children's choirs of the world. And that's exactly what's happened. So we've had children's choir from all over the world now have sent in their contribution to the big chorus. Wonderful. And the song has been filmed. And... Um, the film is being taken up by the international television stage stations around the world. Superb. So it's, um... Kathleen, it sounds wonderful. I wish you the very, very best of luck, luck with that. And, and, and keep practising that steely glaze. Uh, gaze. Uh, did, did certain teachers and music teachers have that kind of... Don't you... Don't you dare. You have to with that many children. Kathleen, thank you very much. That's um, uh, Kathleen, who is uh, the music director of the Capital Arts Music Choir. Now... 
I've upset you all this morning. I've, I've, turns out I've done a terrible job in, in entertaining you. You've, you've, you've all got the daggers out for me. Earlier on, we heard from Richard Seymour. This is uh, early on in the show. He has an allotment in Stevenage, and he said slugs won't eat his beetroot. Now, I said that slugs won't go near beetroot because it's horrible. My wife isn't listening, but if she were, I would get a right royal telling off. Now, I got in, got in a lot of trouble with you by saying that no one with any common sense would go near a beetroot. You've been calling and texting in. Uh, Phil, one of the texts, says that beetroot has many health benefits. Let's have a chat to Mike Higson. He's a beetroot production manager who we think may know a thing or two about beetroot. Good morning, Mike. Oh, hang on, you're on that one. Sorry, Mike, you're there. Hello. Hello, Ian. Explain what a beetroot production manager does, please, sir. Uh, well, what I do is I, uh, I schedule the growing of crops um, and deliver them to customers. So it's all about the chain through from drilling to, uh, to delivery to customers. Now, we had a text in from Vic that says beetroot... And I'm sorry, this is the second question I'm throwing at you. It's rather distasteful. Beetroot makes your wee red. Is that true? Uh, well, it does, yes, but oh. it's, uh, it's a natural colouring. Okay. There's no problem with it at all. There's nothing, it? nothing dangerous about it. No. Um, and Esther has texted in. And now, I, this can't be true. If you eat beetroot before a comedy, it will enhance your sense of humour. Well, um, I mean, there's a lot of work going on at the moment about blood pressure reduction in, from eating beetroot. Right. And, you know, the positive benefits. So maybe if, if uh, you're more of a... Uh, in a laid-back state, sort of, you're a bit more relaxed, it might uh, make, make you a bit happier, I suppose. So beetroot is good for you, though, is it? Oh, definitely, yes. What, what are the benefits? Um, well, there's, there's a cardiovascular thing that they're looking at at the moment with the Olympics. There's quite a lot of athletes having shots of beetroot to help their stamina. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that's currently been researched on. There's about 12 labs around the world that's looking at uh, uh, blood pressure and uh, its effect. Uh, and how beetroot affects it. And why does it do this? Has it got some sort of chemical in it? What's uh, the reason? Uh, it's nitrate. There's some, there is mm. some nitrate, natural nitrate within beetroot. Right. And they think that uh, combined with your saliva, there's a, a complex, and it, it actually affects your, yeah, your blood pressure. Mike, why do they taste so disgusting? They don't. <laughs> You've just been buying the wrong beetroot. Because <laughs> well, you can buy beetroot either pickled, yep. um, in a sweet pickle, or you can have it, if you don't like it that way, you can have it as a marinade with a sweet fire or something like that. I have tried, because my, my wife loves it, okay, she's, she's half Greek and she's a fantastic cook, and she, I've tried it pickled, I've tried it fried, I've tried it boiled, I've tried it roasted, and I just can't get to grips with it. Is it one of those things that, re- well, we found out this morning, is one of those foods that really divides people? Well, I suppose it does, but the thing is, if you've had a bad experience, because you have a, a bland beetroot at a time of year when you know, you've had something that's not right, yep. it can put you off it. Um, but, uh, you know, the right thing, really, I, you know, my kids love it. It's, um, it's a great thing, you know, crisps to all sorts of ways. It's, um, it's, it's just uh, delicious. Can you ever get a beetroot stain out? Um, yeah, I never have any problem at all. You know, I fought with beetroot all the time, and we just wash them out. Okay, there we go. Mike, listen, thank you very much. You've been a, 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 a brilliant sport. Thank you for that. That's Mike Hickson, who is uh, a beetroot production manager. Um, and I'm sorry if I offended anybody with my comments about beetroots earlier on in the show. This is a genuine, sincere apology about beetroots, although they do taste rank. Uh, we've got Dan in Watford. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Before we go on to what you've called in about, beetroots, yes or no? No. A good no way. There we go. At last, someone on my, someone speaking sense. What, what have you called in for, Dan? Well, if we think about, logically, a marriage was created many, many years ago yes. when life expectancies were so much shorter. Yeah. So if, when they said, till death good. do us part, that might only have meant for 20 years. Yeah. 
that marriage was never meant to last for these 50, 60 years we see now, simply because, well, we weren't living that long. That's a brilliant argument. That's a brilliant argument. Uh, uh, you know, you, you say 20 years, even back in the day, you, could, you, you wouldn't get past 40. So, yeah, you're right, about 15, 20 years. Are you married, Dan? <laughs> I'm not. Was, was that someone sneezing in the background? Uh, possibly. Uh, who, who, who's there with you, Dan? I'm just waiting to get into work at the moment. Oh, OK, right, you've got a sneezer on, on by. So you're, you're not married. Do you have a plan on getting married, or is it something that just doesn't appeal to you at all? I might do in maybe 10, 15 years when I get to sort of 30 or 40, but nothing before then. OK. You, you want to wait till you, you, you want to you play the field, have some fun, and then... What if you meet someone tomorrow, Dan, and you just fall head over heels in love with them... Uh, and you, you, you're totally obsessed. Would, would you change your plan? Would you revise that, that, that uh, plan you've got there? Definitely. I can't, I can't predict what's going to happen in the future. So if no. I met someone tomorrow and then in a year I thought, well, this is it, then definitely. Dan, listen, thank you very much for that. Dan, Dan's views on marriage. It's a good argument, isn't it? When marriage was invented... I don't know when was it invented, the 50s? I don't know. But people didn't live that long. So they didn't know... You know, now we live forever, pretty much, and you're stuck with that same person for, for that whole length of time, really? Really? I've got some texts. This is, we're talking about drinking on trains, and uh, in Scotland, they are planning uh, on um, banning drinks on trains. Lexi in St Albans says, I've had some very good parties on trains. That's mysterious. Andrew is uh, on the phone. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Uh, oh, you're, you sound like you're in a, in a little box. Uh, <laughs> you, you drink beetroot juice, do you? Yeah, about four years. I've always suffered, or had suffered, from raised blood pressure. Right. Even and, though I need to be healthy. And it helps, it lowers your blood pressure. Is this a scientific fact? Well, I don't know about that, but I was, t- I was advised to drink beetroot juice, and I drink half a glass a day. Oh. It's got 10% apple juice in it to make it taste nice. It's <laughs> exactly to make it taste nice, because the beetroot juice on its own, I'm imagining, would be unpalatable. Drink it chilled. Okay, I drink half a glass a day, and I did some other things as well. I don't have salt at all. Right. And, uh, and I just watch what I eat. I don't eat processed food. And my, anyway, I have to have a medical for my job every five years, that I, sorry, three years that I have to pay for. Right. And my blood pressure for the past two years now, I'm not on any medication, and it's completely normal. Fantastic. And you put that down to the benefits, benefits of beetroot juice. Exactly. Andrew, thank you very much. Um... Talking about the uh, milk on the text, Mark, and let's tidy these up before Jonathan starts his show. Mark in Bletchley Towers. Don't forget, Ian, there's the new Bucks Super Dairy being built at Aston Clinton. That'll make a difference. Uh, and Pat says, Hello, Ian, our country is influenced and run by foreigners. Whether you feel uncomfortable with these comments or not, you allow ethnic groups to moan about how unfair life is so they can use the race card to, uh, to get on, but others have to go on their merit. Well, I think the situation with the, the, the Asian footballers was that they weren't being allowed to go, get on by merit. That's the problem. It's a great discussion. Thank you so much for taking part in it, all of you. It's, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Sorry if I've upset you. That's kind of the nature of this, isn't it? We've all got opinions, and we should all share them within reason. Uh, well, that's it. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed today's show. It's nice to have a little argument first thing in the morning, isn't it? Makes you feel alive. Kind of gives you a boot up the backside, gets you in, in the right frame of mind for the weekend. A nice little Barney on the radio. There's nothing wrong with that. Thank you to everyone who called in and texted. Uh, I should be back. I've got another two weeks of doing this, so I should be back on Monday, bright and early at six o'clock. Have a lovely weekend. We might have a little bit of sunshine. We've got some sunshine now. It's Jonathan Vernon Smith. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.